This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Rollery's podcast. Um, <clears throat> it's a very somber affair this week, as uh, we Tottenham Hotspur Football Club have once again bottled the Premier League um, trophy title, winners' place, first place. Um, we've come. We've first come the best, s- second the best, first the worst, second the best. I fuck that up. Yeah, we've come just we've, like Tottenham. F- First of the losers, bottle it, Bottleham, Lolspur again. Um, that's the dulcet tones as ever of uh, my main man, Mr. Raj Baines. Um, I'm I'm obviously joking, um, but before we go into Bottlegate, how 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 are you feeling, mate? How how are you feeling after the West Ham defeat? Um. Surprisingly, all right. To be honest, I mean, um, it was it was disappointing, especially losing to West Ham. It's disappointing losing to West Ham, regardless, because they seem to they take such glee in in, the, in it happening. I mean, it, it didn't take five minutes for them to sort of pull out there. It's happened again, t-shirts and all that sort of business. But you know, um, the fact that that's what their season comes down to, and sort of beating us is the definition of it. Is you know, speaks volumes in itself. So. It's just one of those things you have to live with, I think. I mean, for a long time, although it's probably not nice to say, when Arsenal were at their best, that's probably what, you know, we felt like to them. Oh, it's and definitely it, what we were, though, isn't it? Yeah, but it, it sort of, it, it, that in itself, the fact that it's flipped now and sort of, it's not even of a level, but, you know, it's the other way around, um, sort of shows how far we've come. And I, I can't see for the life of me that ever happening for West Ham. Not anytime soon, anyway, they Pawn barons would have to sell up before that ever happened. Mm. Um, but it's just one of those things, isn't it? It was. It, do you know what it is that's annoying about it? Is that yeah? I think we'd kind of we'd started to. I think collectively concede the fact that the title probably wasn't going to happen after after the Everton. Uh, yeah, Chelsea beating Everton. That's kind of the. You know, it's probably not going to happen now. Yeah. Um, it's just the it's, fact that it's. I don't it's think it West even Ham, feels. It? It's not. It's. It's not just that. I think had we lost to anyone, it's the fact that 
the easy line here isn't that Chelsea have won the title, it's that Tottenham have lost it because that's sort of, that's the juicier headline, that's the easier narrative. Sort of saying that Chelsea had won the title and sort of had always won the title is sort of, it doesn't make the Premier League seem as exciting as people want the Premier League to seem because if we rewind it sort of three, four months um, when Chelsea were, what, 12 points clear or whatever it was, um, there was no title race. It wasn't a thing. Nobody was expecting Tottenham to come anywhere close. Um, sort of the bottling narrative was sort of... Um, it wasn't even a possibility at that time. But the fact that Tottenham actually made it interesting, we're being punished for, for our own good form. Um, I'm pretty sure for the most part, like, because, you know, it's, what, 27 points from a possible 30 now? Well, yeah, they won nine games in a row. There's, you know, you can count on right. one hand how many times that's ever happened. Exactly. I mean, I think it's... Uh, I, 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 it wasn't far off. I mean, what did you, what was Chelsea's winning? Thirteen. Streak? They they equaled. Um, they did it all in one season. Arsenal's invincibles in sort of quotations did it in uh, uh, spread that thirteen games across two seasons, which um, is a bit cheeky to me, but you know whatever. I mean, it's just insane, and it, it's before. I'm pretty sure anyway. It's before this run that we put together that. Liverpool were much more in contention for it. I'm pretty sure Liverpool well, yeah, were they, above us. They went through like December and January. They were getting beaten left, right, and centre. They, if you gas your mind back, it wasn't until we went there and they managed to win that sort of their season sort of to self right again. And that was our own fault um, that we lost there. So it's it's just one of those things. It's um, there are. There are criticisms to be made of this season because it wasn't perfect. There are, are individual games and decisions and, and players and things that, you know, deserve a word and um there there are things to improve on always. I mean, Tottenham are far from the complete package and I think that's what that's the silver line. And as, as much as it is sort of the things we need to improve on, that's also the silver lining of it. Cause we're also getting um there's some false equivalences in in what people are comparing this season to to past seasons, and the one that I've seen most often, because again, probably it's the easiest narrative, is that Tottenham playing really well but ultimately falling short is similar to what Wenger's Arsenal were like ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Tottenham have come from nothing, and Arsenal were a team on the decline. So it's sort of removing the context from it sort of removes any validity of the point being made because if you took that Arsenal back a few years they were the invincibles they were the best team in the country sort of the team that most people expected to be doing far better in Europe than they ever did because they had this amazing team and sort of they underachieved in Europe I don't, I don't think there's there's any Arsenal fan that would probably deny that I mean um, even in the 2006 final they were ahead um and if you want and they bottled it yeah if you want to bottle in that area there you go um but um for us if you if you take us back we we've literally come from nothing in the premier league we were a, a bottom half table team before bottom half table team that's an awful sentence <laughs> we were, we, we were, yeah we were a bottom half of the table team um until sort of Enoch took over because Alan Sugar mismanaged the club he ran it like a business and you know he's a TV star these days who eats things with little cutlery so he's a Poundland Trump isn't he which is fucking that's a damning indictment <laughs> the world one. yeah um but I think the British one came first didn't it 
No, I, uh, I, I think their sure. apprentice is based on our apprentice, um, of which I'm, I'm not sure is uh, something to be hanging our hats on in this day and age. Sad. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exclamation mark. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a slow and steady thing, and the, the fact that this season will again be better than last season and there is a definite progression there. The fact that for the first time we've gone back-to-back in the Champions League, which we'd never managed previously, these are... You know, this is by far in terms of points, totals, and everything. Our best Premier League season, our goal difference is absolutely outrageous. Um, you know, it, it pisses on everyone else. And sort of our defense is ridiculous, all that sort of a thing. The fact that you know, even the things we're having a crisis about, uh, you know, in inverted commas, are the fa- are the byproduct of being a good club. It's not sort of so-and-so wants to leave because Tottenham are shit and he not, he wants better football. It's sort of, you know, Tottenham are a huge club, but they're a bigger fish in the sea and sort of the marginal gains of, you know, the very top cream of the crop is that, I didn't mean that to rhyme, um, is that sort Parrot of... and you didn't know it. Yeah, is that they come and steal each other's players. It's sort of what makes Bayern Munich and Juventus as good as they are is that they're just they nick everyone else's players to weaken their opposition and make themselves stronger. It's um, sort of the way the world works in football these days. Uh, probably always has done. Um, but it's just one of those things. I, I fail to see how this season can be seen as anything but a, a progression and a success. And um, the fact that there were so many sensible people, that not just Tottenham fans, that came out on, on social media and, and after the West Ham game to sort of um, throw as much water as they could um, on the banter line that Tottenham had bottled it or whatever um, was, you know, should, should, you know, gave that argument as much credence as it needed if it needed any more than it already had. You know what, though? I, I, I get it. I get the, not not from reputable people, but from your football Twitter, you know, Twitter accounts and that kind of shit and from your mate who supports whoever else. Saying Spurs bottle, it's just it's trolling, isn't it? You know, that's what that's what it is at the end of the day. It's just let's just say this to piss people off. You you, you get it with everything across the whole spectrum, don't you? You just know what's going to irritate someone, and you say it, and you see plenty of people biting on it. And I mean, it, it it irritates me when you see kind of the papers and stuff try and perpetuate that narrative. Was it which... Rachel Riley who does fucking numbers on Countdown saying on national oh, TV? Mate. She's just—I don't know. She's, I think she's just trying to fit in a bit, wouldn't she? Trying to be one of the one of the gang, but um, she uh, all of—I don't know. I just—I don't buy any of that shit. I've, one thing I will say, kind of sidestepping that. Um, Women don't touch on football. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously that's a given, mate, isn't it? That's with me now. Yeah, everyone knows my mo, but um, is—is <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it? <sighs> I don't know, it feels harsh to say it after this West Ham game. Um, Kind of more so after the semi-final. But even then, you know, you're competing against a team that's spent a billion pounds on manpower over the past 10 years. But is this another example, like the West Ham game, of just that that final hurdle. I mean, West Ham's a bit of a poor example. The the only thing that irritates me about this West Ham game, other than the fact we lost to West Ham, is that, yes, we weren't going to catch Chelsea, but it's annoying that we just haven't done 
everything we could in the pursuit of the title, if you get what I mean. It's like, you know, as much as we're not going to beat them, and you can imagine it is hard for the players to stay motivated when they know in their heart of hearts Chelsea probably aren't going to slip up. But still, it's it's trying to get that that last level of, be it professionalism, be it determination, I'm not really sure where it lies, somewhere between the two of those, yeah. in order to push us across the line. On the and, flip side of that, Joe, Jack, is yeah. the fact that Chelsea's best form came when our worst form is, and that's directly because we were in Europe and they weren't. And their, busy, yep. their biggest success this season is a direct result of their biggest failure last year. So them being inconsistent and being able to, you know, afford as a club to have a year out of Europe and it not really harm them because they're owned by an oligarch isn't something we can benefit from. So it's sort of, it, it, as much as you, you want to draw a direct parallel because that's what the league table essentially forces you to do, the situations of both clubs just doesn't allow for that. Had Chelsea been in the Champions League this year, I'm not sure how much difference there would be between the two mm. clubs. Um, and that might be slightly sort of roasting at spectacles, but I don't think they win 13 games on the trot if they're in the No, Champions it's a League. fair point. It's a very fair point. Um, it is still just a bit frustrating, though. It is a bit annoying. And I, I do wonder, because, you know, I look at kind of... You look at someone like Pedro, right, who was a bizarrely underwhelming signing for them, really, you know, in in terms of, like, the, the way it was painted. It was just Chelsea buying another, you know, whatever, £50 million player. But this is Pedro that's won La Liga probably four or five times. He's won a couple of Champions Leagues, got a fucking World Cup winner's medal. And he plays a sort of bit part. But you look at when he does pop up, you know... He, he scored a couple of like really big crucial goals to them, you know, against Everton. And he's just sort of able to step in with that type of class, that type of experience, and seemingly not be that bothered about the fact that he's oh he's figured a lot more under Conte, admittedly, but last year a bit of a bit part player, you know, doesn't particularly seem like he gives that much of a shit about the Chelsea cause or anything. But it's just of a certain class, as you say, that we we probably wouldn't be able to maintain under our current setup with our budget. No, because with... Pedro, Pedro would have to come in and earn 150 grand a week at the very least um, to be even be tempted to come. I mean, he, he turned down Man United to go to Chelsea. So the amount of money they must have enticed him with to go there um, is far beyond what we're currently able to play. And I actually saw... I think it might have been James Moore who, who tweeted it tongue in cheek and said, um, you know, to pay bigger wages. Um, and I think it was like Tottenham need to be building a bigger stadium to be, to pay bigger wages or something like that. And some absolute fucking donkey tweeted back and went, "They are. Have you not seen?" Like earnestly, he went and uh, I think he said to him, you know. I wish they'd spoken about him more or something, but it is that, that <laughs> sort of, you know, we are on our way to having the infrastructure to be able to maintain that. And Chelsea don't, on the face of it, Chelsea don't have the infrastructure to sort of maintain that. They just have one really rich person bankrolling the club. Um, Manchester City is sort of closer there because they managed to move into the athletic stadium after the Commonwealth Games had been and gone. So they had a, a slight bit of a, a West Ham leg up, if you will. Um, 
And, you know, you saw how long it took Arsenal because they they had to pay for so much of their stadium themselves. But we've, again, even as much as we don't like the fact that we're going to be playing in the Dunkin' Don Donuts Arena and it's going to have American football being played for six hours a day on it for however many times a year, they're the sort of things that are going to make competing affordable. They're the trade-offs we have to make in the current day um, as a club owned by sort of a, a less problematic company than others. I mean, the fact that our owner, our actual owner, is, you know, sat in a tax haven and isn't allowed in the country that many times a year and I <laughs> flew the club out to Jamaica to play a friendly because he wanted to see him before he popped his clogs one last time. Um, <laughs> speaks volumes about how fucking questionable everyone else is, the fact that... Enoch are the, the 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 white knights and saviors of English football, and you know that's not to say they haven't made mistakes and everything before the people who dislike Daniel Levy get in touch. But um, you know we're we're doing it in a in the right way, and that might sound like you're getting on your eye horse and whatnot. But you know what we sh- we should because there is although it sounds sort of small to say. Us winning one title coming from where we have will mean far more than anything that Manchester City and Chelsea have achieved um, because their success will always have an asterisk in it. They'll, they'll always have a, a degree of hollowness against it, whereas th- there is a, a purity and a, you know, sustainability and a, a, a model of sort of um, doing things in a way that is, you know... You can plot almost step by step and year on year how that club has been run and been planned on growing. Um, and you can't do that with everyone else because they've just suddenly overnight become a, a super club or what have you. And um, that's that's you, what I took the biggest heart in. Well, that aside, then sort of going going back to the point, and like if you're looking at a Pedro or someone, if we're looking at sort of players that can make a difference. And I mean, we, we, we've said before, you saw it with Cambiasso at Leicester, for example. Yeah. Do, do you think there is any sort of call for someone like that? You know, because we've, we've spoken about in the past, Ledley King had with, I don't know, Leicester example, but someone like Nudarin Nabet, who doesn't stand out as a big name, but has quite possibly influenced one of the biggest players in our club's history. And, you yeah. know, Ledley's on record saying how, how much of a positive effect it was to have someone like Nabet to learn off of, do you, you know, do you, do you think there could be, is it, you know, someone in a dream sort of dream scenario, had we a spare 200 grand to go and chuck about on someone like Arjen Robin, it would be very nice to bring someone like him in to spend the last couple of years of his career at Spurs and impart a bit of wisdom and obviously have a tangible effect on the pitch. But as I've said, you know, we're not going to pay 200 grand a week to a 33 year old, however old he is now. Yeah. But is there anyone we could get clever with? You know, would you be averse to like us bringing in Michael Carrick or someone like that, for example, for kind of some of these players, Eric Dyer potentially to learn, you know, a bit more off of, or even like someone like Wesley Snyder, who what he's in, he's Galatasaray still nowadays, isn't he? Um, and you'd kind of think players like that might be more within our sort of realms if they fancied one last chance to impart some of their wisdom and join a club like Spurs where they conceivably could add a major honour to the end of their career. Um, 
I know it doesn't really seem like in Pochettino's sort of MO though, does it, to, to operate on that level. But I don't know, I just wonder if that's something that could help us help us get over the line, perhaps. It's hard identifying what which player that is though, isn't it? There's yeah. And there'll always be so much competition over him. I think Carrick will end up staying at Man United now. Um and they always they always tend to get hoovered up by someone and if they're not if they're not gonna go to a club that are immediately going to give them success, if they can't go to you know, like Danny Alves went to Juve or what have you. Yeah, yeah. They'll end up going to China or United States for a couple of seasons to make a King's Ransom before they retire. So it's mm. hard. That, um, but I, I do agree. With, I don't think that the thinking is wrong. We've seen it ourselves. That first season we did really well. We had Edgar Davids in the team. And he yeah. wasn't the same Edgar Davids, but he was Edgar Davids. He was a player who'd been there and done it and sort of brought some of that winning mentality to us. Um, so uh, I don't think there's any any mistake in sort of repeating that. We've got nice, but again, I think it, a lot of it is it doesn't seem to be Pochettino starter. He doesn't. He wants to build winners, doesn't he? I think it's not so much he wants. I think he actually has in. said before. I think he was interested in Cambiasso. I don't think he's against the idea um, because I think that's. Uh, I think he was a senior player at Espanyol and what have you. Yeah, so yeah. He's done that himself. He probably knows the value of it. It's just picking the right one. I think he's even said before that if he was able to sort of sign a, a marquee player for better, you know, better phrase, if you, if you will, um, he'd even sort of let them off tracking back and little things like that. If they were good enough to sort of get away with it, then he would learn to accommodate that. So he's, I think he's admitted to being flexible to that. It's just the fact that where we are as a club and sort of our model at the moment is far more... Um, designed to picking up Deli Ali types and making them yeah, yeah. the Real Madrid players. We can't we can't do what Arsenal did and go and pick off the cast offs from Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um because we don't have that sort of money. Um we probably don't have the draw well I do you know what? I think actually two two seasons in a row of Champions League football Two seasons in a row of challenging for the title I think and Pochettino as manager is, is another yeah. draw. So we probably, you know, we probably are at that level now where we could foreseeably punch for, just as as an example name, an Isco level player. Isco, I mean, is sort of equal to kind of like that Ozil level yeah, yeah. player. Um, someone I like that, we, but we've again, done it before. wages, I mean, um, that, that, that David's example, of course, he yeah. came because sort of Martin Yol was Dutch, I think. Um, we got Van der Vaart again. Maybe it's a Dutch player we need to find. Maybe that's our niche, an aging Dutch player to help us through. Maybe our Robin thing is going to come off after all. What about Huntelaar? How old is he nowadays? I don't know, but I, I'm not sure he's, he's scoring that much recently. Is he not even getting in the Schalke team anymore? I think he might actually be a free agent. I think I saw him on the list. But he, I don't think a strike isn't a sort of as um, as influential enough position to do it. I think we need a sort of somebody who can come in when Dembele, Dembele isn't playing. I think that, that would be my ideal position to find sort of some level-headedness, somebody who sort of knows how to win a game sort of a thing. It was that absolute nutter. It was kicking lumps out of everyone. Nigel De Jong. Where, yeah. What happened to him? Um, he's in. He plays for the Galaxy, doesn't he? Does he? Is he out there now? Eating I think burgers so. and sitting on beaches. No, I think he's got. A, doesn't he have a company where he does up cars? 
Oh, what, like a Pimp, Pimp My, My Rides Ride. type? Yeah. yeah. If you want to be a player but your wheels don't fly, you got to hit us up. <laughs> oh, it's like my favourite one of those because, you know, there's sort of a little exhibit, him smiling went round as a meme for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. I always liked the one where it was like, dog, we heard you like to drive, so we put a car in your car so you can drive while you drive. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's, um, there's, there's been a few... Um, interesting sort of um, retrospective people pieces on Pimp My Ride because essentially they did no mechanical work on these shit cars. They just put sort of £100,000 worth of mechanics in it. Uh, not mechanics, sorry, like electronics in it. And gave sort of like some dickhead in a Ford Escort a new body kit and gave him <laughs> 10 TVs and he's still got the same shitty engine and coffin spluttering oil or whatever. Um, and sometimes the, if they put something really extravagant in the car, they'd often take it back and stuff like that. So it's um, really yeah. There's there's a few sort of pieces with sort of people have dug up um, old contestants on the show and they've sort of stripped it back. And it's it's always that same story of in it of like um, producers selling one thing and then something else happening and what have you. Um, which I remember reading a few years ago. So if you if you're interested, yeah. Do you remember when they did the UK version with uh, Tim oh, Westwood? Westwood. Yeah. Only because we've got sort of um, MOT to do here, they didn't do as much stupid shit because it's won't be road legal. So it's literally we we have fixed your car. You've essentially been put in for a service and had a fresh lick of paint. Well, it's because we we don't have freedom over here, mate. You see, that's yeah. why we uh, we don't. Um, yeah, we 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 can't do pimp my ride because freedom. Because freedom. At least Fox Hunting's coming back. We can do that on a weekend now. Oh, fucking hell! What's a fucking weirdo? Um, but you said Westwood. Um, <laughs> have you got a Tim Westwood story? No, I'm. I was just gonna say that would should probably spell. A uh, return for an old friend of the show. Are you comparing Musa to Tim Westwood? <laughs> I was just bringing my uh, the air horn back. Oh, there air horn! Go. I thought you were going to make a really problematic um, comparison between Tim Westwood and Musa. Then, oh, what would be my problematic take on that, mate? That Tim Westwood is this strange hip hop. Hip hop. There we go. You know how much I hate that. I know, that's what I'm doing. It's He's been replaced by uh, Charlie Sloth nowadays, anyway, hasn't he? Has he? Yeah. Last game at White Hart Lane. Um, it is against Manchester United. Um, I'm going to stop doing the air horn now. I, I need to respect Musa more than signalling him in with an air horn. Um, but yes, we're speaking <laughs> to Musa Okwonga about Man United and the last ever game at White Hart Lane. Musa Okwonga, thank you again for coming back to the show. You're one of our favourite guests, obviously. Um, I'm apologising now because it's it's first thing in the morning and we're going to talk about Manchester United. This must have been a topic growing up that you enjoyed discussing. Uh, actually, no, it, was, it wasn't. <laughs> Support United was not fun until about the age of 10 or 11 because I think for the first sort of years I was sentient supporting, we were really bad. So this is kind of a return. This is a return to form, really. <laughs> after twenty days, oh. yeah, after twenty sort of twenty year public holiday. Do you have this nostalgic feeling then of United being? Yeah, shit? it's like the old days. It's like, <laughs> like I say, it's a, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson was basically a twenty year public holiday, and now we're back to uh, we're back to basics. So it's all good. It's all good, really. 
It's fine. It's yeah, fine. I don't mean to rub it in, but I've, uh, man, it's Alex Ferguson was already in charge by the time I was born, so this is <laughs> you've, an entirely... You've known nothing but, well, you know. <laughs> yes, this is an entirely new thing for me. I was actually quite upset um, when he came to retire because it was just one of those things where you know where you have to embrace your own mortality because you've you've seen this thing that's sort of a, almost a state figure and he's stepping down. It's, it's very strange. I imagine... Um, it'll be the same when the Queen goes for a lot of people because it's that similar sort of, you know, constant. I, well, I think I'm, I'm lucky in that sense because I have experienced United before Ferguson. So this is, you know, Ferguson was always this kind of like blessing, sort of manna from heaven. Like, I think he had done what he did at quite, a, well, not quite a few clubs because I think United was specific, but he would have been pretty amazing at a lot of places we've ended up. And um, when you get someone like that, you're just lucky to have them. Uh, and, and, you know, United now, let's be real, I mean, Come on, like fifth in the league, it's not exactly the end of the world, is it? He's put the club in a very stable financial position, and eventually they'll get a manager who's really good um, in terms of pushing the team forward in an attacking sense, and they'll play the football again that United had the reputation for under him. But you know, it's it's not. You know, <laughs> come on, like we're not exactly Sunderland, so it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that that um, that level of pragmatism isn't sort of um, the base view, though. Is it? there is a lot of sort of panic and things and of course social media isn't the barometer for things as we only know too well but there is sort of there does seem to be some discontent that has started from the Moyes era and was you know fested in Van Gaal even though trophies started to come back in under him and there was the occasional good performance um, but with Mourinho he seems to have been even more divisive if possible. Well I think the thing to, the first thing to, to understand, I think, is is I think the myth that it was impossible to follow Ferguson. That's absolute nonsense. If the job had gone to any one of the managers currently in the sort of top three or four in the table, um, I think they would have made a better fist of it. I think that if you brought in, you know, let's say Klopp, Conte, Pochettino, or uh, so Klopp, Conte, Pochettino, also it's very early in the morning. Um, Guardi- Guardiola. Or Guardiola, sorry. My apologies to Pep. No, not Wenger. <laughs> or Guardiola. If you brought in any four of those, then I think, frankly, that you would have seen a pretty impressive follow-up. I don't think you would have seen the league win, but you would have seen some good football, you know, some bad football, but generally seen an upward trend. And I... United seemed to pick the, the one summer where none of those managers were available. Well, that was also very bad planning. Uh, if you look back at oh. like how the recruitment was done, I mean, the planning was pretty poor, unfortunately. Um so, you know, and, and Mourinho really coming in and doing what he's done, uh, you know, after Van Gaal, the real problem Mourinho's got is he's kind of creating this narrative that if you're not your absolute best and you don't play ultra-defensively, then you're going to get battered by the best teams in the league, which he himself exploded by beating Chelsea 2-0, which is probably our best performance of the season. <laughs> so Mourinho is very odd because he has this in him, but fundamentally he's a cautious character, and I'm not sure in the long term if a cautious character is what United need. But, you know, here we are. Here we are. Is this not sort of um, a steady relationship after a sort of a couple of um, rebounds? Your f- yeah, fiery flings. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call the Moise a fiery fling. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, disappointing sex. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm an old I'm an old man, Raj. It's been a long time since I was in a relationship, but uh, I'm told by the cool kids that um, that these flings happen. I'm not really a fling man myself, but. Um, yeah, I think your I think, Tinder account says different, Musa. Yeah, <laughs> we don't talk about that. We don't talk. <laughs> oh man, you caught me. Yeah, we don't. My Instagram—that's that's a different brand. That's a different brand, Raj. Yeah, okay, you got me there. You got me there. 
Um, yeah, I, th- I think <laughs> very good. I think Mourinho is brought in to uh, consolidate, and to an extent, he's done that. What twenty-seven goals conceded, second best defensive record, I think, in the league. Uh, but the problem I think we have is we've kind of gone a bit George Graham. You know, fifty-one <laughs> goals. You know, do you know what I mean? We've gone a bit George Graham. Yeah. We've got fifty-one goals, I think, in the league, um, which is a really poor retort. Seeing how much we spent on the on the forwards and the midfield. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, look, you look at something like Spurs. Spurs have got, I think, the best in the league and the second best attack. So they're a team yeah. that can defend. They can defend really well and they can tackle really well. And here's the thing. If you look at the kind of nerve centre of Spurs, you have Dembele and Dyer. And for a large part of the season at United, you've had Fellaini and Herrera. Now, one of those is putting yeah. his weight, and that's Herrera in the crucial position, sort of the transition of the ball from defence to attack and also the protection of the defence, you've got someone like Fellaini who doesn't keep mm-hmm. the ball flowing. You know, what I love about Mr. Dembele is he's absolutely amazing at surging forward over those sort of 10 yards between yes. uh, defence. You know what I mean? He's incredible. That kind of middle third, he's absolutely yes. incredible at just pounding to the middle. This is a really specific, beautiful and special skill. Someone like Clarence Sadoff had it. Um, David's had it, uh, Dimitri Albertini had it at Milan, and this yeah. is you know, just carrying the ball safely through midfield. Dembele has such a, a grace about the way in which he moves and carries the ball as well for a man of his size and power. Mm. Um, if you ever to read a, an interview with one of the Spurs players and they're asked about sort of training or um, who they want in their team in training, and without fault they will all name Dembele because it just it's impossible to get the ball off him once it's at his feet. And sort of you, you don't want to go and try and tackle him because you'll come off worse for wear compared to him. Do you ever do you ever watch um, Marcel Desai in that final against uh, Barcelona, the four yeah. 0 win? Yeah, the four 0 win. There's an amazing two minute montage I think on YouTube of every touch that Desai takes in the four 0 win. He scores the final goal, I think. And there was a player who technically was very strong. He was good enough to play midfield for Milan, and again was mm. impossible to dispossess. Had pretty good vision actually. And was just this ab. I mean, his nickname was the Rock at one point. And I look at Dembele, and he reminds me of Desai in some ways. Just terrific yeah. footballer. Yeah, terrific footballer. I mean, the the thing that seems to be the most egregious for me for Manchester United, away from the managers, is the transfer policy. Mm. Because it's it seems to go from the sublime to the ridiculous in terms of the names that are brought in, and I use the word names rather than players because that seems to be the thinking behind it. And I'm not one of these people that writes Pogba off just because I've I've seen the price or what have you. But mm. sort of the thinking behind that transfer appears to be as much commercial as it was footballing. Um, because he'll have made back his mm. fee and then some with the amount of kids that have have got a Pogba shirt worldwide um and you know the adverts they've been able to put out and the you know the tracksuits they've been able to shift with Stormzy in the adverts must be obscene mm. but at the other hand you've sort of you've given managers carte blanche to to sign the type of players you want so you had Moyes bringing in Fellaini whereas if you do compare and contrast that to Tottenham you know the the, the type of players we brought in on the cheap are the type of players that would demonstrably have made Manchester United a better team. I mean, Victor Wanyama, for the best part of, what, £11 million, would have done a fabulous right. job for Manchester United this season. Even when we bought Dembele, that was £15 million. And you're telling me at that point, coming from Fulham, if you know Manchester United had offered him the same and you know obviously had a bigger budget for wages, he wouldn't have gone there. It seems really strange. You know, you go down the list, that sort of 
Tottenham are, are the best in the country, if not Europe, at signing players in that eight to fifteen million pound bracket. Yes. Because that's where our success stories come. You know, Jan Vertong and Toby Alderweireld, uh, Eric Dyer was even cheaper than that. Deli Ali was even cheaper than that. So it's it's sort of that's where we rule. As soon as we try and spend money more, we end up with Muta Sissoko. Um, and, but... and you don't need to spend. You don't need to spend more than that. Like you don't need to. I mean, look. I think the problem that Spurs will have, I think, is so far is the wages. Um, yes. That makes sense. That's the one thing. It's not so yeah. much the cost because you can get amazing players, but it's just the wages, I think. Uh, yeah. The thing about the, that the thing should be about, somewhat eased, hopefully, by the, the, the new, new stadium, stadium coming yes, in. Yes, absolutely. And also, Spurs' is, you know, Spurs growing brand, regular Champions League football, you're going to start bringing in you know, players like the kind of the young, the young version of Griezmann. Whoever the next Griezmann is, you're going to be in players like that. Um, Harry know, Kane, I think he's called. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. I love Harry <laughs> Kane. He's good at many things, but. You know, he's he's not Griezmann in the sense, and that's a compliment. You know, Griezmann. Yeah. I I almost think that you know Harry Kane is the kind of player you could buy him as a replacement for Lewandowski. Um, yes. He's that good. Harry Kane could go Worryingly. to Bayern. He could go to he can go to Bayern Munich. Um, yeah, he'd, he'd fit in really well in German football as well. He would. He would absolutely because he has the superb technique, very good vision. He's actually a very good playmaker for a player that plays that high up top. Um, very mobile, uh, deceptively quick. I think can you know two-footed and would fit perfectly into that system you know he's just the perfect figurehead he can drop deep um yeah. you know he might actually keep thomas muller out of the team as, a, as, a, as, a, as an out-and-out well, out he's striker. had a, a, a horrific season hasn't he muller he has he has i mean muller is a very sort of specific um player and he's someone that requires care usage he's a great great footballer but um you know in a more conventional setup um which angelotti has he really hasn't thrived uh but you know but back what i was saying for pogba very very quickly Pogba yes. has been extraordinary in in quite a few matches this year. Um, yeah. He's been poor in some of the biggest ones. And I think that is actually not so much technical, it, it's psychological. So Pogba, I think, has put extraordinary pressure on himself because he's actually a player that's more sensitive than his public persona uh, appears to show. Well, he's, and what he's was, a child. Well, but what was really interesting, Pogba, I will say this, is that at Juventus, he had elder statesmen in the dressing room. So you had Pirlo, you had Buffon, you had players that kind of looked after you and that mentored you. And Zlatan Ibrahimovic is that to an extent. United don't really have that same combination of, you know, prestige, but also players who perform at the highest level every week to heat off him, which what young players kind of need in, in big teams. Um, so he suffered from that. What was really interesting with Pogba, the turning point in his season in big matches, I think, was the interview when he got compared to Kante by um, Sky Sports, I think Jess Shreves. And he really bristled at that. And he was like, everyone's going, oh, you're doing too much social media, too much dabbing, too much public profile. You know, it's detracting from football. You're not playing so well. And Pogba came out the next week against Chelsea and blew everyone away. And since then, he's been outstanding in every match, not just the kind of almost big matches, but every match. You know, he was outstanding yeah. at Chelsea. He was brilliant and Lecht, you know, when, when it really mattered in sort of the big game. So... I think that Pogba actually, his big adjustment, I said this in my articles before, was really psychological. I said, look, Pogba's yeah. a, a terrific player, has every gift on the planet. He just needs to get a bit nastier. And in, in relation to yeah. Wanyama, who's been terrific, I think the United actually need both of those players. They needed Pogba, they did need him, a creative force. Yeah. They also needed a Wanyama. Uh, and yeah. and I, I think the problem with United, I think, to an extent, is there's always an element of being slightly too good for these kinds of signings, which is yes. why you now see Dyer being linked with with um, United, which is kind of funny because Dyer could have been picked up from, I think, Sporting Lisbon. You know, he was available. Yeah, for pennies. But, 
Yeah, but it was almost like he had to be validated by the Premier League, which I think is an absurd, <laughs> you know, it's an absurd kind of state of affairs, but there you go. And so I think United, in order to really get where they need to go in in, um, in Champions League and the league, a little bit more humble, I think. It's the Kendrick track, you yeah. know, sit down, be humble, you know. Um, I was just um, thinking of that... Um the point you're making about Pogba, it's something we've spoken about before, is that when players have a bit of spite in them and they have a chip on the shoulder, mm. I think they need that sometimes, especially sort of to perform at the highest level. I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen Kobe Bryant at the moment, but he makes cartoons for kids about the muse cage. And it's essentially these cartoons he's making that are quite dark about sort of harnessing, you know, hate and ill feeling within yourself to push yourself to, you know, the, the heights of physical performance. Um, and it's quite interesting because I, I think he might have misjudged his audience slightly trying to pitch it to children. But as an adult <laughs> watching it, I, I sort of, I very much understand where he's coming from, you know, especially having seen him play and, and knowing the, the way in which he played and how he treated other players. I think maybe Pogba would benefit from not arrogance but sort of having that little bit of swagger in him step back and sort of you know a bit of a snarl rather than the smile and sort of um the the persona you see in adverts maybe just a a bit of an edge to him would would help him sort of settle in especially in England where you know with this price tag over his head everyone's looking for the first opportunity they have to knock him down a peg well that's completely right yeah it's completely right I'm sure it doesn't help that he's a you know, young, successful black man, because we know how much the the country struggles with that, especially at this moment in time. So he's got a lot against him. Do you know what's both. funny? Actually, the Sun, the Sun haven't really gone for, they haven't really gone for Pogba. Like they've gone for someone like Sterling. Sterling. And I wonder, yeah, they've gone for Sterling, the Sun, but I wonder if they haven't gone for Pogba because they haven't got a beat on him. They haven't really got... Do you know what I mean? They, there was that. There was that one story where I think somebody threw a plate and a plate at him in a restaurant because he refused to sign a, a, a signature for them. Because he was tried, eating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That somebody tried to sort of spin it as if um, he'd done something wrong, as if he was having a diva moment. But it was essentially somebody pissed up was trying to shove something in his face, and he went, "You know what? I'm I'm having a private evening here. If you'd asked nicely, I would have, you know, happily dealt with you." But you've been a bit of a dick, so, you know, can you just leave? And the person then proceeded to prove themselves to be a dick. Yeah, right, well, that's, that's pretty standard. I, I think you've made a very good point, actually. <laughs> you've made a very good point about um, harnessing hate. Because, you know, that's yes. the thing about the professional athlete, half the half of your working week, well, half your working sort of career is spent in environments hostile to you. And if you're very good mm. at your job, you're going to be hated in those environments. Um, you know, if you're Cristiano Ronaldo, if you're a Harry Kane, you know, if you're you're the kind of player that's going to get a lot of nasty stuff said to you in other grounds. And this is something we don't really talk about very much. Like the amount of hate you'll absorb um, as a Pogba type figure, both online and in the ground. In a Pogba, you know, after yeah. Pogba has a bad game, he trends every single week. He will trend. And he reads his Instagram posts. He reads his Twitter. We know this because he told us in the interview, like he's aware of what people are saying. Yes. So I think Pogba has had his kind of like, you know, Jedi moment of I'm sick of this. I'm sick of being joked about. I'm an easygoing character, but there's going to be hell to pay now. And we've, I can definitely tell you as, as someone that watches them, obviously every week, you know, just not at games, of course, but I watch them every week from Berlin. Because you're online. a sadomachist. <laughs> Actually, I must say watching Pogba is, it is always a pleasure to be honest, because he always does one thing in a match, even if he's having a bad game that makes you go, my goodness, I'm glad we've got him. Um, you know, this is the thing. This is the guy that Zidane went after for a whole summer and couldn't get. Uh, and 
I do honestly believe if Pogba was at Barcelona or Real Madrid now, he would light up their team. Um, they actually, yeah. Barcelona in particular, need a player like Pogba. Now that Iniesta's come to the end of his time, they need a kind of readjustment, a reconfiguration of that midfield. They need a player like that. Um, yeah, but, but let, listen, can I just quickly talk about Spurs? Because it's really exciting what you guys are doing. Um, <laughs> of course you can. Yeah, you oh, know, we're Harry, not tired of hearing about it yet. Harry, Harry Winks, what a player. Yes. Uh, I'm seeing here Marcus Edwards, another player coming through. Um, yeah, he's really exciting. He's, I think he's only 17 or 18. Just the quick feet. The quick feet. What I love with Spurs is the technical ability, uh, the mobility mm. of the players, the footballing intelligence. The way you just move the ball you know, around the pitch is really something. And What's really interesting with, with Spurs is you've kind of been, I think, underrated because you don't have, and I think I've heard this to you before, you don't have that many ex-Spurs pundits in the media who were talking yeah. about what's happening there. You know, if you had a United, it was ex, it was ex United manager, uh, pundits, sorry, you'd have them talking about, oh, the prospects coming through right now. It would just be a topic of conversation. But I think Spurs suffer from that uh, at the moment. But I think, you know, and hopefully if Pochettino hangs around for the next, let's say, three to four years, you could build something really yeah. exciting there because Chelsea are going to have Champions League football next year. You have already adjusted to that. You've had Champions League football the last, you know, so the last couple of years. You've had to um, adjust to that. And you're going to strengthen the summer, hopefully. I think, you know, of course, Spurs have made a couple of transfer missteps. And I just wonder, I just wonder, looking back, it's easy with hindsight, but, you know, Sissoko and Janssen. And Janssen looked like, like a really good signing at the time. I think Janssen's a, a, a particular case because sort mm. of he's younger than Kane. Um, and last season, even though he scored a lot of goals for AZ, it was only sort of in the second half of the season once he'd found his feet. Mm. And that was his that was his first ever season in the top flight of any league. Yeah. So really he's he's taken two giant concurrent steps in, you know, season after season. So it's it must be sort of a culture shock for him even more than most to yeah. have been pushed really up. I mean yeah. I mean, the, the 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 comparison would almost be sort of if we'd signed a a young striker from a sort of League One, League Two type team. Yeah, good point. Good point, actually. You know, and the thing is, you still score seventy one goals. I think at, <laughs> yes. at some at some point we need to say actually, Chelsea have just had an outstanding season. This is the real. Thing. Yeah, they've just been. They've, they've benefited from not being in Europe as well. I think had yeah. they been in the Champions League the same way Tottenham had, and sort of. Um, had to struggle in the same periods of the season Tottenham did. Um, I don't think their 13-game winning streak would have happened. Mm. Um, and I think it would be slightly tighter than it is at present. I mean, the the whole bottling narrative and everything we don't need to get into because it's sort of... Yeah, it's, it's, lazy. Ridic- it's lazy. ridiculous to give... But it's sort of... It's almost as if the club are being punished for their own success and sort of, you know, but a month ago this wasn't a title race, but because Tottenham went on and won nine games on a on the bounce and sort of managed to get within four points of Chelsea and make a title race out of a season that was never supposed to have one. Mm. They've, they're almost, you know, that's bitten them in the ass because people are now able to say they've, they've somehow failed in, in doing something that no other club in the country has managed. Yes. And the problem, the problem with that, um, the botling narrative, again, you didn't, you didn't have a load of ex Spurs pundits in the media to defend that narrative. Or, yeah. or to rebut it. Do you see what I mean? If, if you'd had Gary Nett, if you'd had Gary Nett, the two Nevilles would have been there. You'd have had 
Uh, Skulls, Ferdinand would have all been on BT Sport going, oh, this is a joke, come on, like get over it. The one we do have, the one that's up and coming, Jermaine Jenis, he he sort of, um, in the he, he defended Tottenham quite well and mm. sort of quite passionately in, after we'd lost to Chelsea in the um, FA Cup semi-final. And sort of what he said wasn't wrong, but because he said it as sort of a fan would say it or somebody who is sympathetic towards the club, he was sort of open to ridicule on social media the way that other people aren't because, you know, people aren't really used to Tottenham having a ringer on this. Right, right, exactly. And I think it's just, um, you know, it, it's lazy. That, that's what annoyed me about that. It was a lazy piece of journalism. Um, and it didn't do credit to either uh, to West Ham or to Chelsea. It didn't do credit to West Ham for like putting that back. That's a very impressive win for them. I didn't do credit to Chelsea for their astonishing, you know, winning run and actually for, 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 to Spurs either. So it's kind of a bit, I don't know, I get annoyed by that stuff because I say, look, by all means, have your opinions. Just trying to make sure they're actually empirically based. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the best season Tottenham have ever had in the Premier League era, and I, I think if once you take a step back and and look at it in the context of sort of this is the first time a lot of this has happened for the club in several generations, and if you look at it from where they've come compared to other clubs, they, they've come from relatively nothing and relatively little because mm. the Sugar era and, and the owners before that left the club in sort of a fairly precarious situation. So as as sort of as bad a rap as Daniel Levy tends to get from, again, people looking for an easy line, the, the job that they have done turning the club around and making it what it is is, is quite remarkable. Um, but I want to ask you about White Hart Lane. Um, mm. Because this is our final ever game at that that wonderful place. It is a a place we cherish because of its imperfections, because of sort of what it means as an almost a, a religious site, if you will. Mm. Um, because you overlook the fact that there's no paint on the walls and there's low ceilings in the tunnels and sort of as a man of six foot five, you have to stoop to get through things <laughs> and um, you know you have to be careful and you know if you you buy the wrong seat you've got a pillar in your way so you can't see one side of the pitch um, but at the same time there's this real melancholy and, and and sadness about having to say goodbye and you know of course everyone's well aware that it's it's for the best and the club will be better off going forwards because of it but you know when when football loses that romanticism um it's quite a a soulless thing to comprehend but you know the club have done really well in sort of marking the occasion um although they're sort of they're spinning it as a an evolution of white Hart lane rather than a, yeah. a move away from it which you know you you can understand given that sort of the new stadium literally is being built in the gaps in which the current one has been it's, torn down that, that is incredible yes yeah, next it's basically next not even just next door it's kind of like an over, it's overlapping it yeah, overlapping, yeah. Incredible. it looks incredible actually so i was there just the other day actually um, yeah. It's amazing. So, have you, do you have any memories of White Hart Lane? Did you manage to go and see any games? I saw two games. Uh, one was actually not a Spurs game. It was England against France under twenty-one. I saw the young Frank Ribery, blew my mind. But the one Spurs game I saw was yes, um, a two-nil one over Middlesbrough the year before United signed Michael Carrick. And okay. my goodness, okay, so I think Spurs had lost actually four or five on the bounce. And I, rem- mm. I remember being struck by three things in that match. The first was the incredible acceleration of Jermaine Defoe and change of direction. Unbelievable. Yes. Jermaine Defoe's change of direction was out of this world. Like, it was really incredible. The the other thing I remember seeing was Ledley King's recovery speed. There's a challenge that he made. Um, <laughs> a, a, a striker got ahead of him, you know, got a through ball and was slightly ahead of him. And Ledley King basically chased this guy down 
and orbited him. Like he <laughs> came down, went around him. Like when one of those ones where you like you tackled and you went around the guy and dispossessed him and was gone. Like and I remember thinking, my good, because I'd heard a lot about Livy King and you know I, I hadn't seen him play. The man was special. His touch was exquisite. That guy could have played at his peak at any club in the world. No question. Yeah, I mean no that's question. that's. It's one of the things we often say about Ledley is that you know we we bemoan his injuries because of what it stole from him and his career, um, because you know I think Jack often tells a story of he was um, he was at a game and was in, you know his girlfriend had paid for him to watch the game in a box with Ledley King and obviously people were asking him questions and somebody asked him oh what's the best stadium you've played in and he said oh probably you know Old Trafford or Anfield and they went. We were in the Champions League the other year, is it not sort of San Siro or the Bernabeu? And he goes, No, I was, I was injured for those, I didn't play. And you sort of realise that this man's had a an unfulfilled career, even though he's had the most wonderful talent and sort of he used it in the best possible way. And, you know, he, the narrative surrounding him sort of coming into the side and being well ahead of his years when we needed him the most after Sol Campbell left. Mm. And sort of the he was, he was on a different level. Became, like, Campbell was a fine defender. Mm. Ledley King was your equivalent of, I think, he was your Rio Ferdinand. He was, you know, he yes. was that good. It's a bad comparison, even. I mean, Rio Ferdinand is an extraordinary player, but I don't want to keep, I don't want to sort of refine it to England. I mean, he could have played for any team. He's like Raphael Varane. He was like Raphael Varane. Like, he, yeah. he was if... unbelievable, but with more power, with more power. Yeah, had he been fit, he would have he would have gone elsewhere. He would have there would have been no stopping him. And I don't think Tottenham fans would have bemoaned him moving on elsewhere because I think there was a a recognition that you know he was often the thing stopping other teams from taking advantage of how weak world Tottenham were. Yeah, and he got days. and he got you through. That's the thing. Ledley King, Spurs would not be where they are now without Ledley King. That's no. the really amazing thing about what he did. So his contribution to the club, at least, is something that we won't forget. And the other thing I was going to say that I noticed in that match, the 2-0 win over Middlesbrough, was Michael yes. Carrick in midfield was out of this world. I remember watching him and just thinking, my goodness, you know, United paid 80 million, 18.6. And I said, and everyone was complaining. I said, guys, you have no idea what you've sports. You have no idea. This guy was in the centre of midfield and he didn't run anywhere. He jogged everywhere and Middlesbrough could not get near him. And he was... He stayed just the back of midfield, the kind of Dimitri Albertini role I mentioned before, just behind the centre circle, and he destroyed them. He destroyed them. So that to me, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, Michael Carrick was the memory from that, you know, the abiding memory above even Defoe and 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 King, who were sensational, but Carrick just ran the entire show. Yeah, he was he was excellent. Um, one United player I forgot to ask about that I want to is Ander Herrera yes. because I I have a very much a soft spot for Ander Herrera because I think um, we were talking about needing to be a little bit of a dick um, and I think he is and I, I don't think that's I, I say that in the best possible way I yeah. say it with admiration um, but I think he, he is a is a possible partner for Pogba in whatever midfield you end up with I think you, you may be one piece away from having a functional version of that midfield. But if the basis of it is Herrera and Pogba, I think you're well set for the next five to ten years quite easily. I think I think I think I think that's a very, very, very um kind thing to say about Herrera because I think Herrera didn't always have that needle. He didn't always yeah. have it. And I actually I'm surprised because I wrote a piece and I did a podcast actually saying that I wasn't sure that Herrera was the player to elevate United to you know, that final sort of Champions League competitive level. Um, mm. And that was that was a genuine anxiety uh, just because I was 
Maybe it was the lack of needle in his play, but that's something which he has developed. He didn't have that when he first arrived at United. He was always a competitive player, but this kind of combative streak, he's been given a lot more defensive work because Carrick yes. is aging and Fellaini's just not good enough. We've sold Schneidlin, which I still don't quite understand, um, given you know our squad weaknesses in that area. But we need, you know, United, and I think we need to buy two midfielders. We need to buy two midfielders at least. If you look at the best teams in that division, in, in the division, the Premier League, you expect are well stocked in midfield. Um, even City, yeah. they're slightly lighter midfield than they are normally, but they're, you know, they're very good in midfield. It's so strange how you know, it goes back to your point about transfer policy. We spend entire summers chasing Thomas Muller and Sergio Ramos, when these players are clearly using United to renegotiate wages that existing clubs, it's obvious to everyone, in and out of football. Yeah. And we're wasting time actually not buying players like Wanyama, players who buttress the midfield, um, not looking for players like Eric Dyer when they're a bit young. I mean, United obviously would have to pay more than 15 because they pay a premium, but still, you buy a player like Eric Dyer for 25 million, you know, Angolo Kante was available. Where was the attempt to buy him? This is So this is so sort of recurrent as a theme with United's transfer policy, being mm. slow to the draw time and again. Uh, and I, I do think Ed Woodward is, a, uh, is an issue because yes, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't trust the man as far as I can throw him. I think his, his, um, his priorities are somewhat misguided. I think when your primary concern is commercial, that's never a good look from a football perspective and the Glazers ultimately have realised actually we can't just keep draining money from the club with the debt we have to provide funds they weren't necessarily always doing that I think Um, he gives off the impression as well in the transfer market of because there's so many leaks that that didn't used to happen with United under Ferguson of who you're interested in and and sort of how much money you're willing to pay for them which I think is is costing you even more sort of there is a United premium and I think there's an Ed Woodward tax on top of it yes he he reminds me a bit of a a trust fund kid with sort of with a credit card of a parent I was going to say like the rich kid at uni buying drinks up at the bar (laughs) and expecting everyone to like him and it's like well the end of the night, you know, no one's kind of, you've got no more friends, no one's gone home with you. And it, it's kind of that, it's that approach, that sort of worldview of, we'll throw the money around and it's going to endure. No, I don't think that's how it works. Um, mm. And especially now, if you look at the transfer market, you look at like clubs like Monaco, who've done a spectacular amount, you know, Monaco, they're not exactly poor, Monaco, they can pay big wages, but they've been extremely smart at identifying talent and bringing it through. Uh, you've got clubs like Atletico, you know, who are basically embarrassing clubs like United because they're doing far, you know, far more with far fewer resources. Um, mm. So, you know, I think I think it's been a really, I wouldn't say humbling because I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call United as a humble club, but it's been um, a chastening experience for United the last couple of years in the transfer market. If that's fair. Yeah. You, the, the last thing we were asked um, is, I think, uh, Connor Furness tweeted and asked us what our favourite hip hop diss tracks were, uh, because I, I mentioned that um, to to let you off having to speak about United the entire time <laughs> you were on. Um, do you have any particular favourites at all? Is there any that you put on? You have to mention Ether by Nas. You do. You just have to because the thing about that was if you look at the context. I mean, not only was it an astonishing piece of music that he released. And the conceptual uh, aspect to it was just amazing. Um, you know, Ether used to raise the dead spirits. is incredible. But the fact that Jay-Z basically had conquered everything else in rap and was coming for Nas's crown. He was like, look, I've conquered the commercial side. 
I now want to conquer the artistic side because Jay-Z thought it was a bit vain, unfortunately. He overreached himself. It was a bit it was a bit like Drake dominating the charts and suddenly coming for Kendrick. Yeah. Which is, it was Takeover, wasn't it? The the Jay-Z track that sort of yeah, got backs up. Which in itself was actually quite revealing that Jay-Z went for Nas because it was Jay-Z basically admitting, You're better than me, that's why I've got to come for you, because you know, there's no way that Nas was ever outselling Jay-Z, right? No. I'm not even sure if Nas's if Jay-Z's worst selling album had less sales than Nas's best-selling album. I'm not even sure that happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So Jay-Z, yeah. the very act of Jay-Z going for Nas was like an inferiority complex. And, you know, in, Nas basically smacked back Jay-Z in the same way that, that Kendrick would do it to Drake, which is why no one actually wants it with Kendrick. So actually, if you ask me what the best diss track is in hip-hop, I would actually say it's probably every lead single Kendrick ever puts out on his album. <laughs> because Kendrick has this amazing habit. Kendrick has an amazing habit of putting out a track and being like, okay, like, here's a piece of music. I don't mention anyone in it, but it's basically talking about the industry and other rappers, and no one yeah. ever no one ever replies because everybody He manages knows. to to juggle both being able to make social commentary with one hand while at the other hand keeping the rest of the hip hop game at on, an arm's distance behind him. Did the only other rappers yeah. who've ever done that? ever done that are Lauren Hill and Andre 3000 yeah. and Andre 3000 if you think about it nobody has ever sent for Andre someone was saying, his manager was saying no one ever sent for Andre 3000 even the man was out there wearing dresses and <laughs> who sent for Lauren Hill no one nobody. no one wants it because these people can even just... when she was in Sister Act 2 nobody yeah. Uh, no one sent for mentioned it. yeah because in that film she was like she had the best screw face look here's the thing if you are a rapper, there are certain rappers you don't like. There are certain rappers that never get sent for. Um, back in the early days, I think Jay Z and Buster battled in like the cafeteria, but no one really battled Buster since. No one ever sent for Red. I Man. think that high school has got one of the best sort of hip hop alumni ever. Method Man as well, isn't it? Method Man, Jay Z, and yeah. Red. Yeah, and, and um, uh, was Biggie there? No, Biggie was um, Biggie was a different one. No, Biggie was a different school, but he was at the, the same area, Bed Stuy. It was Buster, Jay Z, and Method Man. I think. I think. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the best ever diss track for me is Ether, but the best at kind of preemptive strikes are basically putting out tracks that make sure no one messes you. I would say Andre 2000 and Kendrick. You know, if you look at Andre... Do you not have a, Sorry. a soft spot for Hit em Up or anything? No, no, One I don't, because that courses. elevated it to a level where it was like, it, I think that raised tension out of beyond the studio. And they always say, like, you know, keep it on wax. But I think there's a point to that. Like, look, we're just... A lot of those guys are just kids having fun. Um, and you know, Jay-Z and, and Nas, they were young men at that point, and they, you know, the elder statesmen now, and they're both living nice, comfortable lives. And the problem with the escalation they bury the hatchet. Yeah, bury the hatchet. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, call it naive, but it'd be nice to think these guys could see each other, you know, at some awards ceremony in their mid-40s and like send across a bottle of champagne. Like it would have been really nice if Jay-Z, if Biggie, sorry, Biggie and Tupac had been alive to do that, to be like, you know what? I hated you actually for 20 years straight, but actually. Without you, I wouldn't be here. It's the kind of old, you know, it's like the Ronaldo Messi right? Those two will probably never be good friends, but there's no question in my mind that without the, either one, they would not reach the heights they've reached. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They'll never, they'll never admit it. But if you look at like how petty, how, how sorry, look at how petty Leo Messi was in the in the, uh, in the Classico when he holds up his shirt to the crowd. I remember thinking, I love this because it's so Sunday League. It's yes. so petty, it's so pathetic, it's so childish, it's so kind of like, nah, nah. It's like Aldershot winning the local derby. 
in the last minute <laughs> and sticking it in someone's face. When I saw that, I actually bonded with Messi. I think I actually connected with him more than I ever have because I thought, like, you're just as petty as we are. You're just as childish. You hold these grudges. You hate Madrid. You absolutely hate them. You're showing them your shirt. like. And to me, that's the beauty of rap as well, the kind of, like, the pettiness of it. Taking jibes, taking shots, you know, it's not... I mean, like Kendrick on Control was amazing as well. I mean, that probably is the best modern diss track in the sense of... Well, people are still having to retroll to that verse. Well, you have to apply to it. You do, because, look, he dissed people... <laughs> he, he met people on the same... By name. He made a list. <laughs> By name. I actually played that for a, a friend the other week who hadn't heard it before. And he sort of he was driving, and he sort of the, the amount of times he was like he took his eyes off the road to just sort of look at me to see if what he was listening to was actually happening. I was like, yeah, this happened. It happened. It happened. He mentioned like eight rappers, and it was so funny because there were two <laughs> that J Cole replied to. J Cole was like, ah, oh, you know, because J Cole was smart. He knows it's like his bread is buttered on. He was like, ah, oh, well, you know, it was a compliment that I was mentioned. The ones who should be offended, the ones that weren't mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> which was a clever clever way to sort of having to reply because he couldn't have and so people like Joel Ortiz I think and Joe Budden Joe Budden sent a reply because Joe Budden was angry he wasn't mentioned which is incredible Joe Budden's just a, a genuinely angry he's man he's just though. an angry man he's a very very he actually have you ever seen quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That clip of him where he chases kids down the street with that like a bat in his hand or something. Terrifying. Yes, I think it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite memes. <laughs> absolutely terrifying. As he, yeah, properly chases them down. Like frightening dude. I think they follow him to his drive or something, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah they were, they, I think they're just like making lots of noise up and down the street, and he switched on them. Yeah, oh my goodness, absolutely terrifying. But yeah, so I think anyway, your favorite track. How about yourself? Do you have a favorite diss track or, or two? Um, I quite like for nostalgic reasons the sort of the Biggie and Tupac era. Mm. I know it sort of led ultimately to their deaths. Um, but the other ones I enjoy, I really like when Grime gets into it because right. they're not shy about. They'll name the track after the other person. Oh, they'll call P. it the sort of... P. Money and Gets is the greatest modern beef I've seen. That's amazing <laughs> because they're both astonishing. And actually, I think that P. Money won that, even though Gets is, I think, the better MC. But it was yes. just amazing to have someone with the guts to go back to back with Gets, given how good Gets is. Um, to me, that was even superior to the Wiley Kano because that just went over multiple tracks and they came out so fast. You know, obviously, Chip is always beefing. I mean, Chip has released probably the greatest series of diss tracks the most devastating yeah. series of disses i mean chips diss tracks are so good i think i bought an ep of them 
even, even if you I don't think really know um, who they're about, just the way he's so yeah. creative and insulting people um, is really amazing. So yeah, Chip, I mean, you, you made a really good point because the competitive nature of grime, it lends. Yeah, I think it's so ingrained much. in the culture of it, just the the class culture and sort of um, you know sending for one another is just sort of so ingrained and so in keeping with with what grime is as a an art form yeah exactly you know, exactly I, when I, it happens yeah. it's not a it's not a huge thing when it happens it's sort of a oh look they're they're almost paying homage to where this has come from you know what's so funny what i love about stormzy as well i mean so stormzy i think he was beefing with was it uh jay spades I think? david Moyes. was it and stormzy was brilliant because stormzy mentioned him and shut up like that's the best thing. He sent a subliminal in one of the biggest songs of his career. As it was at Jay Spades, I think. And he mentioned him and then like sort of moved on. And then that's the worst thing because he'd been dissed by Stormzy and he never mentions you again. And this track is getting absolutely massive. And it was so clever way Storm. I mean, Stormzy's really smart, and so is someone like Dave. Dave's very clever because Dave doesn't say yeah. the names of people that he is going after. Yeah. So it's this really frustrating thing where you're thinking, My goodness, if you actually just mention me like in your diss track, that actually helps me sell more records, which I think was happening with Chip. A lot of rappers were, grime artists basically mentioning Chip. Chip was replying and it was boosting them. Because with Chip, yeah. you don't have to beat Chip. All you've got to do is be quite good. Just give a good account of yourself and everyone forgets about the beef a month from now, but you've got more ticket sales. Hmm. Uh, so we had that with, I think, um, who was the other guy that he was uh, recently? Was it Bugsy Malone and Chip? Went back to yeah, the his, Manchester rapper. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good. But he did really well out of that beef because everyone was like, oh, look, Bugsy's really, really good. Like, he's mm. really talented. He actually writes very good songs. Um, apart from beef, you know, actually a problem that Chip has had is that Chip doesn't really, he's not as good a songwriter as he is a diss track yeah. writer. So of people have um, took against him as well because he, he spent those few years where he sort of turned his back on Graham a little bit and made a few more commercial tracks to make his, make his money, which sort of you can't really be mad with because you know a man's got to pay his bills at the end of the day but and grime wasn't, um, doing, grime wasn't of, doing much yeah grime wasn't doing no. much yeah uh, funnily enough i mean looking back i think if even if chip had stayed in grime i'm not sure he would have become the face of grime it, it just, i'm not sure he would have because the very specific skills it takes to unite people in the grime movement you've got to be amazing at beefing which chip is amazing at he's an unbelievable rapper you've got to oh, have, you need to be scary enough that people don't really want it with you i mean i'm i don't think i've ever heard anyone send for gigs but i think that chip didn't have the kind of i hate to say it didn't have the kind of common touch there was always a way that he carried himself as a little bit sort of aristocratic even though yeah. he was, you know does that make sense there was yeah i think it came a bit too much too soon maybe 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 i also think that i mean because you know a lot of young people are doing really amazing things you know dave you know, dave isn't exactly J Huss, Dave, you know, doing extraordinary things. Stormzy is still pretty young, you know. I think Chip's probably AJ Tracy just as well like... as someone I really like. I may, 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 sorry, I didn't hear that. AJ Tracy, somebody I really oh, like. Oh, he's unbelievable. He's one of your guys, isn't he? Isn't he a Spurs yeah, fan? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a Spurs fan. Yeah. Yeah, no, Buster, Buster Cannon. I think he did track. He did uh, Thiago Silva with with Dave. I mean, I follow a lot of that stuff. Yeah, so. he did. Yeah, no, he's, he's AJ Tracy is so so gifted, and that's a really exciting generation. Uh, but, you know, Chip has still got a big following. Like, he can still... I don't think he worries about money or getting sets anywhere. Like, I don't think he worries about any of that stuff, frankly. Um, but you're right. I think he kind of took a bit out of the, a step out of the game at a time when it maybe cost him, but you can't blame him for that. And, you know, he is still probably the best diss track writer in in the UK at the moment. Like, no one really... I mean, this the speed that, that, gigs, sorry, that, that Chip produces. This is, is, is mind-blowing. Yep. 
Okay, I think uh, we've done enough on that. I'll let you get off um, for the rest of your day now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'll leave it on the note that um, I hope come Sunday we'll we'll have a picture of Harry Kane taking his shirt off and holding it aloft for the Manchester United fans <laughs> to see. As hey, well, listen, but... if you've got a personal contact, and say, listen, he doesn't have to do that. We know his name. We know who he is. We, we, come, in, <laughs> we come in peace. <laughs> <laughs> we come with our checkbook open is, is probably more appropriate. This is true. But like I always say on these podcasts, uh, yeah, may the best team win. Uh, best of luck. Uh, we will. Yeah, <laughs> we will. We probably will. Uh, best of luck. And yeah, I look, I look forward to watching it either way. We'll speak to you soon, Musa. Thank you very much. Pleasure's mine. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Bye. Thank you very much, Musa. Um, Manchester United. Bit of a, you know, bit of a boring team nowadays, aren't they, really, mate? Wouldn't you say? Who are they? That's it. That's it. Not on our level. Not punching at our level anymore. That's all I'm saying. Um, Until they come and buy all our players. Yeah. So they can probably still do that, annoyingly. Um, I don't know why I still have this like this awful fear when I just envision like a, another Premier League club that I could see Harry Kane at. It's Man United. I, I just see. Him I think in he'd that have shirt. to go abroad. I think he'd be a sort of a Madrid signing. Harry Kane. Yeah. yeah fair enough. I, I just, why do you do you not do you not think he's good enough to play for? I do, I do. I just think he he doesn't have the the image side of things locked down. But maybe you can cultivate that over he's the next not, few years. He's in all the massive Nike adverts. He's been sort of stepped up to that level. He's been in all the sort of Lewandowski level um, content that they've been doing. Um, and you know how much they like sort of trying to adopt an Englishman in that team. They've done it sort of steadily over the past sort of twenty years. Yeah, maybe then, maybe. Um, what, replace Karen Benzema a couple of years' time? I think he could replace Karen Benzema now, to be quite frank. Oh, yeah, yeah, he definitely could. But, I mean, just in terms <laughs> of, like, when they... Why are we talking about this? This is horrible. I think they'll go for Dali Ali first. What, this yeah. is one thing I said to my dad the other day, is um, because the sponsors and the manufacturers come into it so much, yep. Um I can see because I think Madrid really are losing their patience with how much Gareth Bale's getting injured. Yep. I can see an eventuality where Deli Ali, the face of Adidas, goes to Real Madrid and we get Gareth Bale back as a make-weight. I'm not so sure about the Bale side of things, but I would echo... and I, I honestly, honestly would not be surprised to see it happen as early as this summer. Um, we've We've had... I'll just sort of tie this in to one of the questions we've had, um, which is from da, 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 Duke Silvercoys at the Real Tack 15. Anyone else you could see leaving this summer other than Walker um, or anyone we should bring in? Um, I mean, for the first part, like I say, I, I think the older world, I know there's the worries about him signing a contract, but I think I can ultimately see him signing a new contract with us probably. Um Although, again, even with him, he's getting to that kind of age, isn't he, where he's maybe thinking, this is my one last chance to... Because, what, is he 28, 29 now? Um, I think the Belgians stay together. I think as long as we keep Alderweire, Overtongen and Dembele in the first team, they all stay. Yeah, hopefully. Because um, I think aren't Overtongen and Dembele like childhood best friends? But are they? Yeah, I think they're, they're like from near neighbouring villages or something like that. I think that I'm fairly sure there's like children's photos of the two of them. Um, That's pretty cool. So I, I, I think that they're sort of that click is is um, is as solid as we've we've ever had. And I mean, Vertonghen and Odoarald are just the perfect 
partnership. Like they are just a, the the perfect centre back pair, and yeah, it's you know it's probably the best in Europe. I know I know that sounds OTT, but you know I'm sure that's a case the, for others. But I'd have the UV lads before I had to, to be fair. Those yeah. two, but there's not there's not many. Um, fuck you, Faye. But yeah, Deli Ali, I can for for what you say. I know there is this argument made that is he ready yet? Is he ready for a team like Madrid? One thing I'd say to that is a lot of people said, is he ready for Tottenham yet? Or when we sign him from MK Dons, there's going to be a year in the reserves and there's going to be a... No, we just chucked him straight in and, you know, he found his feet immediately. I don't even think... um, I don't even think Real would be that bothered because, you know, the record fee that they'd have to pay for him would be earned back within... Exactly. ...sort of a summer with the kids across the world that are now wearing their deli shirts. Yep. I think it's for I think it's Forbes, one of these sort of financial companies that puts valuations on things, has put him as like the most marketable face of you know, in the UK in terms of yeah. footballers. English Pogba. Well he is, but that that's exactly it, mate. Nail on the head, you know? Um and I mean this is this is that kind of fallback all the time with Pogba when people are always saying, hey, he wasn't worth £89 million. Pounds. Hey, he wasn't worth it. It's like people need to get out of this headspace. You know, they'll say, oh, if you actually look at the stats, blah, 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 was better than Pogba in Syria for how Arturo Vidal's done more than he has. And, but it's like, yeah, but Arturo Vidal isn't going to sell hundreds of millions of dollars worth of merchandise. He's just Stones isn't is going to. turn up for a Vidal advert. Exactly it. But people just still see football through this like prism of it's only what happens on the pitch that's it you know come on it's like. not it's commercial entertainment it's got more in keeping with sort of wwe as much as anything anymore. <laughs> it probably does that's the thing though i mean i you know how much it must hurt us to say that but it fucking does yeah it, it does but i mean uh, you know that does that does sort of sell can you Pogba. smell what Deli Ali is cooking? Oh, fuck it. Can you imagine if they started doing that? If, they, if each player started having individual entrance music and stuff. Whoa, there's an Kane idea, 316. Hang on, pitch that into Nike. Pitch that in now. You've got the contacts. Yeah, maybe I'll do that, actually. Could be onto something there. Be like the monorail that... man in The Simpsons. I thought it was monorail. What way are we in? Did you say monorail? Yeah, you know the monorail episode, like the, yeah, the shady yeah. that, sort. Do you know it was um, Conan O'Brien who wrote that? Wrote it. Really? Wrote that fucking hell, Rad, you're educated. Um, you yeah, it was Conan, yeah. Conan O'Brien wrote it, yeah. Didn't know that. Mm. I think he did a live performance of it not long ago. Um, but he, he was on the, the writing staff of um, of Simpsons for Ages. That's pretty cool. Um, Walker, Walker probably will go, won't he? I think. It's looking that um, way. If he doesn't play again this year, then yeah, he's gone. So we're gonna go. Anyone else you can see? Get any? Jackham Sissoko is gonna go. I fucking hope so. <laughs> um, Janssen. I Although think it was, it was, it was really funny to see him uh, come on against Arsenal. The final insult. He uh, and he, he 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 was not bad, shall I say, when he came on against. Arsenal. He wasn't good, really. But no, but he's he's got he. There is nothing but failure ahead for him. Sort of, if he was going to succeed with Spurs, he had to do it immediately because he was coming from such a poor position. He was so lowly thought of. Um, sort of, you know, you know when you get a new player, Janssen's a perfect example. They they have all the goodwill in the world. Sort of Soldado. We've had it so many times before where we afford players time 
because we want them to succeed. Whereas Musasoko got none of that because his reputation preceded him to such an extent that we didn't give a fuck. We were just already mad. And he was going to have to have a Deli Ali type season to turn our minds around. Yeah. And he hasn't done it. And I don't think that's actually, I don't think there's anything wrong with that where we're concerned as fans because as a professional, he got himself into that position, sort of the, the, the reputation he has, the the vision more than just Tottenham fans have of Musoka, but many fans have of him is sort of, is of his own making. So uh, the levels of sympathy you're able to have for him are, are far lower than, than for any other player. Um, another as well, Vincent Janssen, but I, I, I think he'll stay. Yeah, I'm happy to see him saying. Did you, do you see his? I just pulled him up now because I wanted to know exactly what it was. But um, do you see his, his quotes last week? Uh, were very encouraging. Yeah, I like to hear this in a, from a player, and I like to hear the fact he's tackling the issue head on. Um, he just said, "There's been a lot of rumours about me leaving, but I've not been at the club for a year yet." When I joined, I signed a long contract and I'm happy. Of course, I'm disappointed with the number of goals, but I'm not a quitter. I like the club. I like my teammates, the staff, the fans, the training, everything. And we're doing well. So why would I want to leave? I just think it's, you know, and then he's gone on to say, you know, it's my first season in a new country, at a new club, and I've learned so much. Um, this is only his second ever season in the top flight of anywhere. Exactly. He said, England is still new to me. I don't see my family or my friends. Um, but the club have been brilliant, helping me trying to settle. Um, I've got a lot yeah. to learn, and I've already learned a lot. I'm confident, and I think more goals are going to come next season. And do you know what I mean? That's just it's good. It's good to hear that. Yeah, you know, he's not pussyfooting around it. He's saying he hasn't scored enough goals. He knows that. But at the same time, he, you know, he's got that determination. I think it was it was nice as well, wasn't it? Like we said at the time when he did score, uh, either against Millwall or who was it, Bournemouth. He scored against. There wasn't a big like fucking, you know. Oh, it was, you know, I'm so relieved. I'm so happy. I'm so this. I'm so that. You know, he his his focus has always been on good. It's good to score, but you know, let's keep it going. Um, I like I like the I like the guy's attitude. I do. I'm I'm not I'm yeah I'm not overly convinced he's got the ability perhaps, but I'm not going to judge him on. I'm that willing yet. to give him another exactly. season to try and try and do it. Exactly. Um, and yeah, you you can't argue with a player when they come out and say stuff like that. And, you know, no excuses made for himself. He's just focused on getting himself uh, getting himself into a decent place again. Um, as a curveball. Christian Eriksen, there's been a bit of tenuous kind of linkage of him and Barcelona. It, You're it, going to have to pay a fucking shitload for him because he's only just signed another deal. That's what I was going to say. Again, you you probably... That's the thing. That's that's the success yeah. story of people laugh about Pochettino being in all these pictures with his tie on and whatnot. Um, but that has secured the future of the club in one way or another because if we lose players, it's not going to be in a... Berbatov Keen esque manner, they'll probably go with the club's good graces because we're well aware that they've got five years to run on a contract and we're going to be properly remunerated. Um, and you know, it's up to the club at that point to have sorted their infrastructure to a point or to trust Pochettino to the extent that we bring in the type of players that he thinks can come in and not only replace those players but help take us forward. Um, so it happens. Players come and go from clubs all the time, um, especially at this level. I mean, the, t- the turnover at players at, at most big clubs is 
is at sort of two or three a season at least, and you've got to permanently be pushing yourselves. I mean, I don't, as bad as it sounds, I don't think we can sort of, as much as we uh, love certain players and have sort of, you know, really, you know, taken to them, we can't sort of settle for that level. If suddenly, you know, a a left back emerges that we think is going to be better than Danny Rose, even though he's a club favourite, we've got to take them, we've got to play them if they're, you know, affordable because that's for the good of the club. Um, and if it comes to the point where sort of Danny Rose has to go and we have to make way, that's the way the it happens. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but as a hypothetical, because yeah, he's yeah. sort of one of the better love players. I, I think perhaps there's a question over whether Lamella comes back or not um, for personal reasons more than footballing ones, because I still think mm-hmm. anyone that questions is his footballing sort of input to Tottenham over the past couple of years when fit is, um, you know, uh, you know, a few screws short of a pack. Could have, could have um, done with him against West Ham, in my opinion, but... We could have done with him a few times, man. That, that Chelsea um, uh, semi-final, he yeah. would have put in a few. Um, there's, uh, there's more than a couple of games where he would have sort of gone in and kicked the shit out of a few people. Um, speaking about the latter half of the question that was put to us who we think might come in Riyad Mahrez has been making noises again today um, saying I, don't, I wouldn't want him you wouldn't want him um, not really he, he, I think he's got his eyes on a bigger club um, I think he thinks he's a Barcelona type player so if he comes to Tottenham and has a good season, he'll be doing towards what he's been done to Leicester for the past couple of years. And I'm not sure I want that type of player mm, on those books. Fair. Um, but he's he's obviously extremely talented and, you know, will be fantastic. I've actually, it's taken me a while, but I've come around to the idea of Zaha, um, especially if we can give Fat Sam Sissoko's make weight. Um, you know, I'll, I'll drive down and... <laughs> take Sissoko <laughs> to Crystal Palace myself, sit in London traffic for six hours and not speak a word to him for the entire journey. Um, but um, every, every time he tries uh, to say something, just turn the radio nope. up a bit louder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, some real passive aggressiveness. Um, the uh, Ryan Sessegnon, I'd really want from Fulham. Um, I think e- even if they come up through the playoffs, which touch wood they don't, because um, I obviously have other interests where that is concerned. Um, I'd want him either way because I think he's fantastic. He's the only left-back I've ever seen that played more time up front than he did at left-back. He's sort of, he's Danny Rose on crack. He was almost Marcello levels of positional indiscipline and I adored <laughs> each and every second of watching it happen. Um, he's high, he's highly covered. I think United have been oh, heavily, everyone after heavily him, but linked but, to him, haven't they? But we're, we're quite good at getting kids in. Um, and sort of, you know, Nonce club. All you have to do is have a, yeah. Well, all you have to do is have a meeting with his parents to go. Have you seen now Mourinho Street at Luke Shaw? Have yep. you Seen how many players Chelsea have got out on loan? Have you seen how shit Liverpool are? Have you heard have the you... rumours about Arsenal? Awesome <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, sort of, you you just so you reel off the names of who's come into Tottenham and sort of what they've gone on to do. Um, the most obvious parallel in that position and sort of with that sort of acclaim would be Gareth Bale. Um, and you've got 
countless others over the past few years and possibly okay. the uh, best. Uh, Ali, Dyer, you know, all these lads. So. Kane, Winks. Um, so we've, we've got all sorts of them. Even, you know, I was watching the Swansea game the other day and uh, sort of, I know we've touched on it before, but Tom Carroll's, you know, a fantastic player he for is. them. Um, if they go down, he'll probably get another Premier League move because he's been fantastic since he's gone there. Kyle Norton doesn't look like an absolute disaster case anymore. No, he's you know he's he he's he is part of a terrible defence there, but he doesn't look as shocking as he did for us. There are there are players everywhere that are sort of um, even ja- have, even Jamie O'Hara's making a name for him in trash TV <laughs> as well. So you know. <laughs> What do you call it? Um, Jake Livermore got bought for ten million pounds for a second time at West Brom, so we're clearly doing something right in the youth department. Um, Harry Maguire at Hull, we've spoken about before. I quite like. Um, I'd even have him over Keane at Burnley because uh, Harry Maguire is he that big lump, the big lumber? In yeah, he's, yeah, he's a new Michael Dawson. Mate. I'm, we, we need <laughs> we need a new one. Um, so we'll sometimes you do though. Man. Sometimes you need a big bastard, you know. Well, well, well Kevin Wimmer's going to go. Um, because Pochettino clearly hates him, um, so he's caught him eating yeah. caught him eating Nutella off a spoon again. <laughs> right, he's a uh, piggy um, with his finger. Yeah, I've done that before. I- I'd be lying if I said I haven't. I don't even really have a sweet tooth, but um, yeah. Anyway, there we go. I've, this to my you have like a ring of chocolate around your mouth, like you've been eating arse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's hard to differentiate after what I'd been doing before eating the salad. Oh, nice. Oi, 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 I'm going to clip that and send her it. Fucking hell. Um, wasn't uh, Wedding's off. Mm, um, I hope you're not sending the invites out yet. No. John Benfield at Benfield13 asks us, if current Spurs players were TV shows, who would be what? Oh, I quite like that. Um... This is something I feel like I should have prepared to get something a bit smarter. What did he say, sorry? So, if current Spurs players were TV shows, who would right. be what? Um, Carl Walker would be a celebrity big brother. <laughs> Expand. It's fucking thick. Shows you're working. It's thick. But looks all right. Yeah, but does a job. Yeah, all right, yeah, I'd say that. Um... I would say Mrs. Sissoko is lost because... No, he's Mrs. Brown's boys. Fuck off. He's Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> it looks shit and is shit. Mrs. Brown's boys was definitely David Bentley, though. I know he says current Spurs players, but that's David Bentley to a T. Yeah. Or Robbie Keane, to be fair, if we sort of start in the Irish <laughs> link. Mm. Is that not slightly xenophobic? No, because he's, you know, high return... Would we not go for like five or ten <laughs> just to make it worse? Um, I don't know. What would you say? Like, someone's got to be Game of Thrones, bloody and Alderweireld. sexy. Yeah, there you go. Get stuck in. He's a wildling. Sexy. It's lots of shagging. If you believe mm. the rumours. <laughs> what rumours? Uh, not a liberty to say. Libelous. Um. Chadley is um, masters of sex. <laughs> he's not one of our players anymore, but it's just he's he's always our player in spirit, though, isn't he? Yeah. Once you have entered that many Tottenham fans, I think um, I mean the hearts and souls, not anything else. Um, <laughs> then you you Tottenham for life. 
Ledley King's the Sopranos because he's the goat. So uh, I know Lucy he's is the wire. Sprint. He's the only Tottenham player cool enough to be in the wire. Like that. Hmm. I don't know what else do we watch. Christian Eriksen. I guess Christian Eriksen. I could see being something like Boardwalk Empire, in that. You know, no, he's like a Scandi drama, uh, the bridge or something. <laughs> the killing. Yeah. Girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. Well, it's but my my thinking with Boardwalk Empire is that like you know it's very very good, but the payoff isn't always that obvious. However, all the components of it are just meticulously brilliant. Um, and to your layman, it's not going to look that way. And there's going to be lots of others that people are going to say are better, but really. It's very, 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 very good and oft overlooked. So that to me is, uh, yeah, Christian Eriksen, Boardwalk Empire. Or, you know, if you want to go Brexit like you have, we could just say Girl with a Dragon <laughs> Tattoo. Oh, that's a film, isn't it? <laughs> In saying that, I did say Robbie Keane was Mrs. Brown's boys because he's a paddy, so. Yeah, because he's a paddy. <laughs> yeah. Are you not allowed to say that? Fuck. I'm not sure. I think you're skating on thin ice. Why, well, you know, a man of my size shouldn't ever be doing that. So, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. It's a hard question. I'd have to have thought about it. I like it though. I do like where he's going with that one. Yeah, it brings all of our worlds together. Eric Lamella can be some sort of fucking destruction derby NASCAR racing shit. Prison Break. Why is that? Because sort of weird shit happens it, it can either be really good or really bad and you can't explain why ever okay like I've, have you watched any of the new prison bake actually i've not i've got them all on my computer but i've not watched it yet i'm sort of i'm, I'm almost still annoyed of how it how it ended that i don't want to start it again. yeah yeah exactly same same it would be like if they did you ever watch dexter did you ever really get into dexter i watched the first season of it and then sort of um I think I had the second season saved on a Skybox. It was before I was able to get my own Skybox. And I think my mum deleted them and I never was able to catch up again. Out of the first one with the sort of guy in an ice cream van or yeah. whatever it was, didn't it? Turn the out ice to be truck killer. Yeah, yeah. But Dexter, I, I, I stuck it out throughout and it, it kind of, you know, it went up and down, up and it was one of those shows that like first two, three seasons were very good and then it had a lull of a couple of seasons and then it started to pick up again. But the last season and the ending of it is honestly it's it surpasses lost if people thought lost ended poorly like dexter is it 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 frustrates me beyond belief how cowardly and how poorly written the ending seri- series was especially the just the overall ending of it was just so awful Awful, awful. The worst thing I've ever seen in terms of in terms of committing to a long series. It's the worst I've ever seen. Um so I might call I might say Sissoko's Dexter actually, to be honest. Like <laughs> started off Any promisingly that Sissoko. first that first season he had uh at Newcastle. Started off well and then since then it's just been predictably terrible. Um I'll give him that. Yeah. Um I would say um, uh, Nakudu is the American because I've heard he's good, but I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, 
it's decent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, let's have a look. Let's do another question anyway. Um, Dace Man Fifteen at THFC Memory Man asks us: After two of our local rivals have had the pleasure of doing it this year and last. Which team won't you mind ending our title chase next season? Um, I mean, t- that technically, cheap question. Technically, West Ham haven't actually ended it yet. We still are in the title race, and this could be setting us up for the most spectacular. Yeah, you know, this could be Chelsea's massive, massive Gerrard slip moment when they go on and lose the next three games and we win the title. <laughs> it's not happening. coming back from this. Oh God, could you imagine, mate? Could you? Um, I'd disappear. Honestly, I'd, I'd. I'd <laughs> tell my work I'm never coming back um, I'd probably tell my family I'm never coming back and just go off into the wilderness somewhere and just take loads of peyote or mushrooms or whatever and just because it's never getting better than that ever if I we want to leave you know when you see point, um, it is never getting better than that ever you know when you see um, players do the goal celebration where they run but they sort of don't know what to do with themselves. Like Harry came with the mask when he ripped the mask off. That's yeah, sort that of, sort of a thing. Yeah. Danny Rose after he scored the screamer. I would do that, you know, when the title was confirmed, but sort of to a Forrest Gump level. Yeah. Where I'd sort of run the length and breadth of the country, just sort of silently screaming out joy. I just wouldn't be... But the thing is, like, that, that happening does not fit in with, like, just the 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 constraints of what we accept as reality like that just no. you know it doesn't and it would shit on the aguero thing that's it and thus i would find it very hard to accept going back into normal life because i would question everything it would be like if if chelsea can bottle the title from that point and spurs can win it now you know anything and literally anything can happen so why am i sitting doing a job why am i paying rent i should just wander go into the woods and like you know i don't know rub soil on myself and try and find some sort of connection to 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 gaia um i think i'd go and squat in white out lane so they couldn't tear it down squat, squat and have a shit or do you mean like no, not like squatters rights yeah <laughs> no no i'm not gonna go <laughs> desecrate white out lane in celebration mark my territory they're going to tear it down straight after the Man United game, mate. Straight away. I've heard literally if you're not out of the ground within five minutes, the bulldozers are coming in regardless. Adele, doesn't matter who you are. They're getting their Is it definitely it down. Adele? Like if you, you keep no telling idea. me Adele's going to turn up and she don't, I'm going to be so disappointed. It's kind of becoming a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke now, I think. Because I haven't heard Adele from anyone but you. Someone like you. <laughs> Someone like me, yeah. Um... I said, I went and saw her at Glastonbury. It was decent. Is she? Did you see Stormzy the other day? Who tweeted a picture having met yeah. her backstage? Quite like that. They've got it because she didn't. She turned up at one of his gigs, didn't she, or something like that? Yeah. yeah. I don't. Know, I quite like that. I quite like this sort of like British British mafia of music at the moment. It's quite decent because I'm a Brexit cunt. Uh, <laughs> Is she currently in England then? I think so, yeah. She must be back and forth, I guess. You're going to tell me it's Adele and it'll be someone like fucking 
Ed Sheeran or something. <laughs> oh, did you Doing see Galway girl? Harry Kane uh, shared a picture on Instagram the other day saying like met Ed Sheeran, what a legend. Picture himself on Ed Sheeran's just uh, he's, uh, he's a weird little man. I watched the video to Galway girl because I quite fancy Saoirse Ronan, but now I can't get that song out of my head. Like every other day, it comes in like that hook because it's such a annoyingly catchy shit song. Um, it, and then you'll hear snippets of it in the radio and I'll get lodged back in there. I, uh, yeah, I detest that man. I think somebody did a tweet a f- few years ago that summed up Ed Sheeran to me, which is uh, Ed Sheeran's that sad lad at a party who goes around asking girls for hugs. <laughs> yeah, he is, has the free hugs T-shirt on. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that, fuck off, No, he, he sees a girl and goes, where's my hug? That, he's, that's, who, that's who he is. He's, he's the guy that if he didn't make it, in terms of him doing music, he'd be doing social experiments on YouTube, like <laughs> buying a homeless man a like Sainsbury's meal deal and acting like he's fucking saving the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's. I hate yeah. all that fucking shit. Um, speaking just before we sort of go on, because I've got a question about TV and we've touched on TV already, I just wanted to end the football-y bit because um, we sort of spoke about White Hart Lane getting ripped down there um, and leaving. <laughs> in a very tongue and chick manner to yeah. sort of paper of the pain well levy levy's sort of he spoke with the trust i don't know if you saw the trust release 10 minutes had a meeting with him this week um mm-hmm. and he has confirmed that there is also the option for us to spend a second season at wembley stadium if the build isn't completed on time mm-hmm. um which is you know it's, it's conceivable it's you know it's not beyond the realms of imagination that i that mean would happen it's sensible yeah um, you don't want to be left as you know no. homeless after a year. Exactly. Um, I hot take incoming. Hot take alert, mate. I feel like I, I would say that sort of before you say that, yeah. how quickly they've put up that third of the stadium, sort of with a ground already in the way. If they didn't have that and whatever, um, I I think um, I think they'll they'll finish it. There'd have to be something that sort of came in and broke it, or like an unforeseen. Maybe this is where Archway issue. Steel have their revenge. <laughs> I forgot about Archway Steel. This is such a like little bit of Frank Underwooding, but apparently we asked them to be the ones to build the time capsule that we're going to bury the under the new stadium. Well, it's just like a fuck you. I don't know, maybe. It's probably some tax, some sort of like out-of-court settlement thing, isn't it? Yeah, we had to pay Archway Steel £50 million for that time capsule. <laughs> Fucking hell. That costs a lot, but it's it's really it's made a really good metal, so, you know. Like that time um, on United sent us Fraser Campbell and it was definitely not a way of hiding funds for Berbatov. Yeah, no, cunt. Um, my hot take, because this is burning, mate. This is my hands are, you know, are scalding now. Um, the women don't belong in football. Sorry, the women don't belong in football. But no, that I've, we've already <laughs> I've covered that one off already, mate. Um, no, I this might is called a podcast. That <laughs> see how much it <laughs> ripped down the LGBT flag. No, 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 no. Oh, Jesus, um, not that again. Fucking hell. So I, I hope they build a permanent one in the new ground. Fucking make a make one of the stands a fucking rainbow. Change the seat. Fucking color. love it. Do it. Do it. Um, right, hot take, hot take. A lot is being made of the fact that we're going to Wembley Stadium. And by me, by many, uh, uh, you yeah, know, it's been voiced 
that we should be concerned about this. However, I'm starting to come around to the idea that us going to Wembley actually isn't going to be as bad as people think it's going to be. Now, just hear me out, right? I'm going to qualify this hot take for several reasons. Number one, knowing what Pochettino is like as a boss, you can fucking bet your ass that this summer there is going to be a pitch the same size as the Wembley pitch on the training ground at Tottenham, and he is going to be drilling the team to fuck on that pitch for an entire summer. So that's the first point. The second point is that the games we've actually lost there have been Champions League games, and other than like fucking misnomers like Portsmouth or whatever, games we've lost there have been Champions League games and games against Chelsea who have spent a billion pounds as you know i don't know how many times we need to stress this i spent a billion pounds on manpower over the past what 10 years and are one of the best teams in europe whether we like it or not you know this is champions league winning side of a few years ago like they're a fucking good team these are the games that we're losing there so as much as we're sort of saying, you know, people are adopting this mentality of like Spurs have got this mental block there, you know, it, it's going to start playing on them. And also people saying it's like a showpiece occasion for other teams coming and playing at Wembley. There is going to come that point when you have dog shit teams turning up at Wembley, probably thinking Spurs don't play well at Wembley. And if we're talking about like a game of inches and, edges where you can find them and you know mental differences and so on and so forth I think it'd be naive to think that that won't factor in that players won't come and underestimate us thinking we're going to struggle here when in reality we have far more experience than what I don't know the actual percentage but let's just say 90% of the teams in the country playing on this pitch playing at Wembley in front of a huge crowd. And also we are training, we will be training on a pitch that same size. And also not to mention the fact we are the team that has come third and fingers crossed second in the Premier League and been one of the best teams in the Premier League for two fucking seasons in a row. Like, so this idea that we're suddenly going to get fucking relegated or finish 15th just because we're playing at Wembley I think, quite frankly, now is bollocks. And I'm going to put my neck out there and say, we're still going to finish in the top four next year. I think we will. So there we go. Drops mic. I haven't actually dropped the mic. I've still got it in my hand. Yeah. Uh, I can't see why not. Yes. I think top top four should be um, our priority next year, as it always is. Um, and then we concentrate on sort of settling into the new place. These next few years are going to be really strange. Um, but sort of it's a, a necessary evil. In a way, I'm actually... No, not in a way. I don't feel the need to qualify. I'm actually quite looking forward to the new stadium now. Are you going to get yourself a season ticket? No, no. I, I, I just prefer sitting around different places, experiencing the sort of the... Yeah, I've been a member for since whenever long, and I go to yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of home games... It is quite frustrating, especially like this year with the ballots. Missed out on a few tickets here and there and stuff. And yeah, me too. Yeah, and it's just you know it is a it is a bit of a pain on that front, and it's always going to be harder for the bigger games. But 
having a I stadium. Thought I, a, I thought I'd found a Man United ticket the other day. Really? I managed to DM someone and then they'd gone before I had replied, which was upsetting. Yeah, I'm, I can't. I'm fucking working. I'm going to be in Paris working on the fucking egg chasing. So there you go. Jet set. Um, it's not At even. It's sending you out this time. Yeah, it's not real leg chasing either, mate. It's just fucking seven aside. Sevens. Yeah. Um, although I don't mind that. I think it's all right. But you know, it's, let's be honest. I'm just not going to be fun doing that whilst the last ever game's going on at White Hart Lane. But it's. Uh, it's going to be a, a day for me. Uh, Huddersfield have got to kick off at twelve against uh, Wednesday in the first leg of the playoffs semi final, and then half fours the uh, Tottenham game. You you you're gonna do Wednesday, aren't you? Oh, fingers crossed. They're they're a bit of a bogey team, though. They, uh, I can't remember the last time that Town beat them. So we'll we'll see. Regardless of in in a very similar way to how Tottenham have had a brilliant season, regardless of what happens from here on in, um, the same stands for Huddersfield um, because they're a team with the budget of sort of a good league one club and they're in the you know top five um with you know they they only stopped sort of going for automatic promotion when it was mathematically impossible and they're the only ones to really push the top two um so um we'll we'll, we'll see it would be uh a minor miracle if they were in the premier league but I'd, uh, for selfish reasons i'd like to see them there because i think the club deserve it for sort of the way in which they've, you know, remodeled themselves and, and changed themselves infrastructurally to sort of capitalize on what's going on on the field. Um, you know, any club that offers a, has the best season in sort of the last 20 years and then offers people £199 season tickets the year after is, is fine by me. Are you, um, are you going to be gutted if they don't go up though? Genuinely, I think I'd probably find it easier if um, if they went out against Wednesday and it was sort of they were just outclassed or they run out of gas or something like that. Um, if they were to lose at Wembley, then uh, I don't see how you're not disappointed. Be good, wouldn't it? Be shit. Be horrible. As long as they, uh, I I really wanted Reading in the semi-finals because they were the easiest team to beat, but. They didn't. Um, I think if Reading somehow do follow over two games and it's Reading in the player final and Town get past them, then we're fine. But beating Wednesday and then beating Fulham is some ask. Fulham have put 10 past, I think, nine or 10 past Huddersfield this year. Um, And they're probably the best team in the championship, even counting the top two. (laughs) Fulham are probably better than they are. Um, just to watch and the the way they play, Jukanovic has got them set up absolutely fantastically. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's a hard task. You see, two shells falling out of Dortmund as well. So let's talk about that two shell to Arsenal back on again. Mm. Winger will stay for another couple of seasons. You reckon? I think it's. I don't even think it's going to be a surprise when it happens. Uh, um, <laughs> just a resignation in your voice. I don't, I don't don't mind. Let's have a look. Let's just get our one last. 
question because it's quite decent. Basically, uh, I just wanted to find out who it was that asked it. So they were asking, like, what have we been watching because there hasn't been enough TV talk of late. And it's probably a fair thing. Tweetman at Walker0104 said, uh, what have you been watching that's good? Seen anything of American Gods so far? Not seen American Gods. I don't have Amazon. Um, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. No, no, no. I haven't watched a lot of TV recently. Um, I've been going. I've managed to get back um, into sort of the singer, the swing of things at the cinema, um, which is good. Uh, so I've I've seen more films recently than I have uh, uh, TV programs. I, sort of with TV programs, because I, I, I want no, I want to watch sort of three or four at a time, and sort of feel like I've got into a series rather than just doing one episode here and there. I never really find the time for it. Um, but I'll, I'll catch up at some point. I've got sort of a series of Homeland to catch up on, um, Prison Break, um, and shit like that. Leftovers as well. This season's supposed to be really good again. Last season was absolutely amazing of the leftovers. After how weird the first year was, they seem to have like found their feet out of nowhere. Might have to give and, it. I mean, we talked about that before. Might have to give it. Again. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I really would go back to leftovers, especially now you can just binge ten straight episodes of that second season. It was it is really good. Um, That's cool. Sort of it creepy and creepy and sort of unexpected in a good way, in sort of in the in in every way that the first season failed, although you still watched it, the uh, second season succeeds. Do you know? Um, I'll tell you what I've been watching on Netflix at the moment, mate. It's actually it's pretty uh, pretty easy watching, but it's actually quite decent, um, quite rewarding in some ways. Is Girl Boss. Which, yeah, it's uh, sort of loosely based on a on a true story set in sort of the early two thousands when people were first starting to do like eBay shops and so on and so forth. It's just about a girl selling vintage clothing. But the first few episodes, you sort of, I sort of, you know, Charlotte because they're like twenty five minute episodes, and Charlotte and I were just sort of watching it. Thought I'd give it a go, and I just thought, oh, this is just quirky for the sake of quirky shite do you know what i mean that it's there's no real sort of substance to this as sort of like throwaway feminist vibes oh, it's got a hank and from breaking bad in it so on and so forth yeah but mate like genuinely it's one of these that like as i'm sort of in about seven eight episodes in now they're actually adding quite a lot of depth to the characters and i think like the the way in which they are portraying sort of like the not just feminist, but sort of overall, you know, lefty, snowflakey issues is fucking good. Like it's decent. I, I is this your version? Is this to you what New Girl is to me? Potentially, yeah, it could well be. It might be that. I um, think they might have ended New Girl now. I think they're sort of questioning whether or not to come back. I think I'd like them to kill it now because I know that they'll come back and the standard would fall, and I'll still watch it. So. I, I always quite like the theme. I watched the first couple of series of New Girl, I think, and then I just sort it just of got it just it. got a bit bad and samey. But I sort of I've sort of got into the habit of watching it so often, and because it's just as one of those things that I'd watch sort of before bed just to turn my brain yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, um, it did um, really good work in that sort of a fashion. But um, I watched um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, the cinema recently because my dad's a really big Marvel fan and you know I often shit on Marvel films because quite frankly they deserve it <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed this one you did? Unexpectedly. yeah did you watch really? did you watch the first one? yeah uh, the first one was alright 
um, sort of I enjoyed what they were doing, but this one sort of they managed to make a quite intimate film um, and quite touching. I you know I'm a crier, so I had a little tear up at the end. Um, interesting, interesting. So, but yeah, yeah, sort of because I because I go into every sort of Marvel film with l- less yeah, and yeah, less yeah. expectation. Um, this one sort of caught me off guard. It's sort of it's fairly amusing. I like the way in which they do it. They sort of you know how in other Marvel films when they have a character moment, it's just sort of to show off their cool funky power and yeah, they do a yeah. quirky line or whatever. In this one, they actually sort of have a bit of character development for each and every one of them, and there's actually some sort of um, growth and sort of you know insight mm. into what they are, mm. other than sort of quirky people in space or whatever. Um, I so definitely like, enjoyed it. It looks incredible as well. Like it, visually, yeah. it's, a, it's a treat. Um, yeah. It's got uh, Kirk from New Girl in it. Not New Girl, sorry. Um, girl More Girls. I, I'll, as long as your program's got the word girl in the title, I'll watch it essentially. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's got Kirk from Girl More Girls in it and quite a prominent role, um, which I found quite strange. She's in the first one, but that was before I'd watched Girl More Girls, so I didn't really notice the fact that it was such an odd piece of casting. Um, but he's, you know, a prominent member of this film. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And the other thing I went to go and watch by myself is I finally found a showing of the James Baldwin documentary, I'm Not Your Negro. Um, and that was incredible. Um, cause I sort of, I started reading, uh, Baldwin when I was in college and it was one of those eye opening things for me. Um, just the way he wrote and the things he wrote about, um and this the skill with which he did so was sort of um one of my favorite sort of experiences with with written work um and the premise of this one is essentially that he he died after he'd sent a treatment through yeah like a 33 page treatment through for a new book in which he was going to um connect the lives of uh, Medgar Evers Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr., who he'd obviously known all three of them yeah. to some extent. Um, and he was going to, it was essentially going to be sort of a, a a look into what they were doing and sort of, he had this unfinished manuscript and Samuel Jackson narrates it. It's all uh, James Baldwin words. So the documentary actually says it's written by James Baldwin. They, they sort of intercut it with... Um, news footage from present day and from civil rights era um and several of um baldwin's appearances on uh like late night shows back then because he was still a writer he was still prominent and famous and everything and um he was still sort of well known enough to to make it on those sorts of shows sort of their parkinson equivalents Mm -hmm. essentially um and although you've seen there are some of those clips on YouTube to see um, sort of the quality and the the way they've restored them and and got them out there and the sort of the length of them and everything that they've got the archive footage for is fantastic. And it's only sort of ninety minutes long, but it, it doesn't feel long um, because it because it is so it's written to be sort of a narrative the pictures and everything that follow with it are so well done as well. Sort of the hard part of it was almost done um, because it was sort of already there in the manuscript. So it's, it's for anyone who's sort of interested in, in anything to do with civil rights or, or Baldwin specific, specifically, then um, it'd be something I'd look for. I think it'll probably end up on 
on Amazon soon enough because um, I think Amazon put money into it. Um, but I'd heard that they'd done sort of. I'd heard that the the quality of sort of the cinematography and the clips and everything and the the voiceover specifically and the work they'd done with sound and everything was so good that you want to see it and want to experience it in the cinema. So I did. Um, and I was in the uh, I was in that screen alone. So I had a you know when it when James Baldwin starts to get really real, I, you know you have a little cry to yourself and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's it's really wonderful powerful film and you sort of you leave it um in this weird melancholic state of feeling sad and sort of empowered all at once it's um and you know the the state of the world is is in at present it's it's oddly relevant again um is it likely to trigger your maga lads <laughs> probably I, I i think anything triggers the maga lads nowadays doesn't it so yeah. um but it's you know, I, I try not to to think about the other side of the coin when it comes to these things because it's it's not for them. Although sort of, I think there'd be some value in in them seeing it and being confronted by it, especially with mm. somebody as eloquent and um, and brilliant at what he does with Baldwin because he was a gay man as well. So that's something that's going to annoy them. You know, a gay black man in civil rights America have being one of the most out, you know, uh, what do you call it, um, outspoken voices and whatnot and commentators. Um, but yeah, he's he's done loads of work. I mean, um, his books are fantastic. He he wrote one as if he was writing to his nephew, I think, um, and that sort of inspired um, Tana Hissikots to write. Um, between the world and me which is one of my favorite books of the past few years i mean Coates has been called the modern day baldwin which is you know it's it's not wrong but it's it's a slight stretch but he is fantastic um so it's it's just one of those things for anyone who is interested in that sort of thing or wants to educate themselves or anything like that then i would uh i'd advise them to seek that out because i uh i really enjoyed it there you go from Guardians of the Galaxy to I'm not your Negro. That's I did it the other. I did it the other way around actually. It's just did you? Oh right, yeah. no. All right, okay. No, I just meant in terms of on our show. That's just what you get. <laughs> yeah. on, it's what you get on Roll the Roast podcast. You know. You've been to the cinema. You you guys got your membership and everything. Don't you? Yeah, yeah. I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm going to see a screening of uh, an advanced screening of Alien on Thursday. Actually, Alien Covenant. Covenant. Yeah, which I'm I'm sort of quite invested in that the alien universe as it were so i'm really looking forward to that like a huge fan of the first two even the third one i'm not you know i quite liked and i actually really like prometheus as well even though a lot of people didn't um mm. so i am looking forward to this because it is i don't know it seems to have gotten favorable favorable reviews i'll tell um, you what me and dad really want to go and watch um the new jamie fox film sleepless oh it's, it's basically a taken isn't it it's that, black take and yeah, it's black and yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, me and dad do a hard line in watching shit um, action films. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and, man. Um, like, it's good though. It's good to have a bit of that. Literally, shit, we saw the advert for it and we sort of looked at each other and went, "We'll go find a late showing of this and yeah. go together." Just because we genuinely would just sit there and giggle like little children all the way through, and then we come out and then just like speak about our favorite parts. <laughs> it's sort of it's one of the the bonding things we do as father as son is watch uh is watch shit films which is where obviously uh we told you to watch the uh shitty nappy film 
Oh, God, don't. No, the vacation. <laughs> it's going to make you look wretch. I've still not seen uh, Split. Have you heard about the fact that Split and... Um, this is spoiler for anyone who's not seen Split, apparently. But I read it anyway, just because I didn't care that much. Uh, they're doing a... Well, there, he is doing a uh, MC Shamalot. He's doing... <laughs> he's doing a... a, a a sequel to uh, Unbroken, yeah, but it's it, going to have the it, Split it, people in it. It linked in at the end of Split. It was like, a, oh, did it? Yeah, it was like one of the, the big spoilers. Um, the end of Split is, yeah, it ties ties back in. Um, yeah, so apparently um, interesting, the yeah. whole Bruce Willis and uh, Samuel L. Jackson are coming back for that. I think um, Unbroken is probably his best film. Mm, I did like. I I, I still think. I still like Signs and Sixth Sense, both of those two. Actually. Signs was a bit silly though. The fucking water. No, I liked it though. I just, I, there's something. It's creepy. I, I like the creepiness. I like the score, and the, I don't know. It was just of its time. Did you ever like the village? Yeah, I didn't mind the village. I thought, yeah, I thought the ending was a bit obvious, um, but I did well, enjoy they, it. They were, they were in prison there. Yeah, like then it was just like it was some sort of set up thing. Um, that was um, Bryce Dallas Howard, wasn't that? What was that? The main actress in that. Oh, no idea. I think it was. Um, but yeah, I, so and I saw. I too, I did see. I saw um, their finest film about the sort of like the the female writers in the Second World War who were sort of brought in. Oh, Gemma to, Arterton. Yeah. Um, it's quite decent actually for a kind of Brit film about the war. It's not as fucking Dad's army. Yeah, but it's not all um, pomp and splendor, Union Jacks everywhere. Let's just have a cup of bloody tea and we'll all be bloody all right. Bugger the Jerry's, you know. It wasn't like that, which was refreshing. I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't. <laughs> no, no. Um, I was kind of expecting it to be that, but I thought. You know, if there's a decent-ish message in there, then yeah. whatever. But it, it didn't even have that element to it. It, it. it was quite a fun film. You know, I don't think it's quite as deep or as involving as it wanted to be. And I think its portrayal of a pretty horrific time, the Second World War, was still a little, a little, um, you know, rose-tinted, shall we say? But you know it, it 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 was a kind of decent message in there um although oddly enough it wasn't based on a true story which i i assumed it had been but it yeah. wasn't um have you seen the new trailer for uh, dunkirk while we're on war films i haven't seen the new trailer is there a, is it outstay or something and it, no it just um sort of is an extended version of what's come already have a look I, I really like it because they by the looks of it similarly to what he did with the the um, trailers for Interstellar um, is just sort of the same parts of the film shown over and over again. Mm. So while it looks like you're seeing a lot, you're only seeing a lot of certain scenes. Well, it's good because so there's, there's, there's a horrible habit now of telling like the whole fucking film in a trailer. Well, yeah, they give like snippets of every scene from yeah. sort of in chronological order yeah, from they across do. the film. It's fucking ridiculous. Whereas this is very much more just sort of um, extended views of specific pieces. As um, as when anyone gets huge, huge to the level he has, there is there has kind of become this like accepted chain of thought that Nolan is actually bad. But 
I don't really buy it. I, I'm still like, I'm he's still supposed think he's a great to be a director. bit of a prick with the people sure he, he works with. I'm sure he is, um, but so I think it, by their by their very job title, you know, they're a director. They got to be a bit of a prick, yeah. But I, I think I've heard sort of he he's known for just hiring and firing people on and off sets, no. um, as and when he fancies, which sort of you know turns a blind eye to any unionization or anything mm. just sort of is a bit of a tyrant on set but sort of when you've made as much money for for people as he does then uh, oh sorry i shouldn't yawn that's probably gives off the wrong impression of how it's I, I, I don't am. mind you mate you, you know it's, it's talking to me is a hard hard deal for anyone so there's uh open auditions i've just seen for aladdin in the uh and the new Disney live-action musical, do you think I should go for it? Am I too old? Oh, shit, it's 18 to 22. Too old for it now. Mate, you fucking, you bull bag. That's it, you're kind of welcome to my world now, mate. I could have been Aladdin. That's it, mate. Putting the lad in Aladdin, hey, hey. Uh, can you imagine Aladdin? Aladdin, yeah. where are you from? Huddersfield. <laughs> 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 All right, yeah. Jafar, you cunt. <laughs> Give her back. Where's our last Princess Jasmine? She's actually called Princess because she's from Huddersfield. <laughs> uh, right, we've probably anyway. gone on for ages now, so um, yeah. let's kill it. If you do want to listen to any of the previous episodes of Rule the Roost podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Acast or on our website, rtrpod.com. Follow us on Twitter at RTR underscore pods. Last ever game at White Hart Lane. Enjoy it if you're going. Soak it up. Just love every second of it. It's Trigger's broom, but it's home and it's gone forever. Goodbye. Just before we, we stop recording, Jack, of course, just um, send us best wishes across to, to Aaron Lennon. Um, you know, he's, I hope he gets the, the help and, and any care he needs. Um, and comes back for fit and and, and healthy because uh, that, that that news coverage wasn't wasn't nice to hear. Um, but uh, you know, I'm glad that the the authorities got to him when they did. Um, but you know, he's a Tottenham legend. He'll always be be Spurs, and uh, he's a good Yorkshire lad as well. So so best of luck to him, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.